This podcast is brought to you by Acme Markets. Fresh foods, local flavors. 93.3 WMMR Audio On Demand presents the Preston and Steve Show podcast. Casey brought an interesting concept up. What? Uh, yeah, we had. Uh, yeah, you did. Believe it or not, uh, we played a clip from somebody on a on a doctor on a, a medical procedure show, and uh, Casey had floated out the question of why don't they do a show about a doctor who's just barely good enough to be a doctor. <laughs> And it led me to think, do they do any shows where somebody is just barely good enough to be in their profession or not? You know, like a pretty crappy lawyer or a lousy cop or something like that? They have. Have they? They, they, they have, the where they just, they're just not good police. Or It, and depends, it might be a character. Depends on character or how, how broad a, a comedy it is. Right. right. It's okay. seldom a drama where it's someone who's... You know, but and, and they'll have people who are bad at their jobs who are investigated and sussed out by the heroes on the show. Right. But it, it's seldom the hero... You know what? I'm not a very good detective, right? You, you, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but but that said, it did raise a point that you you jumped on, Preston. Yeah, I, I, I have a friend who's a surgeon who told me about uh, you know because I, I have all kinds of questions for people to do that type of thing for a living. You know, God bless them. Uh, it's amazing, and the amount of school that you have to go through, and the amount of uh, you know, as an intern, you have to work to to learn how to do that stuff before you're trusted to be able to work on people yourselves, especially specialists. And uh, I was asking him some questions about the preparation for it, and he was—he essentially, the word was, you would be surprised on who they let operate on people. <laughs> and I was like, wow, okay. Yeah. That's kind of terrifying. And then he... Later on, he's like, look, I don't want to make you scared or anything like that. Essentially, some people are better than others. But it, but it led to the, the thought of... I, I work in this, this, so this is the statement, I work in this industry and you would be surprised at what inept people they allow to do what I do. Right. I would love to hear about this, even though it might scare the living bejesus out of us. Well, I mean, we've often heard the term, you know, oh, he or she is book smart but not street smart and stuff like that. And And when it comes to, like, the medical industry... You can be really, really book smart, but like, suppose you're a surgeon that doesn't have good hand-eye coordination. Well, that's and that was my question. I'm yeah. like, they teach you how to, you know, tie knots and and do you have to you have to be very dexterous as as well as incredibly intelligent mm-hmm. and know what to do at the right time. But you also have to have the physical capability to do these minute little things. So that's why you'll have people who consult, and you'll have people who are not, you know, they they, they they'll yeah. say someone's a maestro. So, uh, for example, like when I had my my uh, prostate surgery. Uh, Dr. Lee is like a maestro on the Da Vinci machine, which is this very precise thing that allows them to go in. I couldn't see somebody with the hands of like a like a like a John Madden, you yeah. know, go, go, you know, going in and doing that. You've got to have you got to have the chops. I got to point this out. He's a great guy and he's really talented at what he does. But our friend Mike over at Shaving Grace, do you remember when we oh. had uh, we? <laughs> Well, he was nervous. He was shaving his Come out and oh, right. his mustache. <laughs> and Mike gets up there with a straight razor, and his hand is shaking. Uh-huh. And it was just because he was nervous. He was nervous. There yeah. were cameras. There were lights. We were on the radio. We were live. And, I'm and like, we built it up. I'm like, dear God, don't cut him. We oh, my God, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> we should have gotten somebody else from Shaving Grace. Yeah, he's, <laughs> listen, he does a great business. He's a successful. He yeah. obviously knows what he does. But I just remember seeing that hand shaking going, oh, my God, what are we doing? Wow. Uh, you know, not that... Uh, all right, I don't even have the, the, the pre-statement here, but I've, I've watched documentaries on, like, the drug trade and uh, these guys that are, like, making and mixing heroin down in Mexico, and now they're lacing it all with fentanyl. You got these guys that are just kind of, like, eyeballing it, you know what I mean? Like, uh, it, it's kind of like an important, you know, scientific 
thing going on there, and you know that's why people what you mean my illegal drug maker is not <laughs> yeah. doing things on the Isn't up and that up. crazy? Not by government standards. Not by government standards. Wait a second. Don't, like... don't they have to be licensed before they become <laughs> cartel operators? Well, wouldn't you want them to be? You I know, think just I, a little bit. I think we're going for something a little more regulated. No, I know. Than but, the uh... free ranging <laughs> drug trade. Uh, uh, let me go to some calls, and this could be. Listen, this is open to interpretation, by the way. So uh, I'm going to go to Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Good morning. Hi, good morning. How are you? Wonderful. Elizabeth, it says here you're a teacher. Oh, my gosh. There are so many teachers that I know that are not the brightest bulbs. <laughs> Meaning just not intelligent or they don't know how to talk to no, students. they're intelligent. They're just goofy and off or odd or something along those lines, you know. They're not really with it 100%. Being, being a good teacher is a talent. It's not, it is. Just, it's not yeah, an intelligence. Yep, it's yep, being yep, able to make a connection. Right. I had so many teachers, specifically in middle school, that I just, they, they just didn't want to be there. They didn't care about kids. And I was just, you know. You you, tell, no, I absolutely I, I agree. Teach, I teach middle school, yeah. So it's it's just some really goofy people that I don't know how they even got this far. And I mean, people that have their masters and doctorates, and it's really interesting. So Elizabeth, like for for example, I, I so we watched the class. I you know at home before we watched Classroom and yeah. then and then Jeopardy. And and this uh, maybe yeah. it's a product of uh, occasionally teachers being nervous, but you'll have respected schools on there and the faculty. There'll be three contestants facing off against the students. Now I freely admit I'm a moron. But they're basic things I think a teacher should know. know. Yeah. That, that I'm like, I'll look at my I wife and say, are you kidding me? Uh-huh. Yes. But you were, you were in that setting. You know. The, and that's why I say that, yes. That's why. But I'm like, yeah. I mean, things that even I think would transcend even the nervousness. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, I had a lot of great teachers, but I did have one English teacher in particular who she misspelled things all the time on the blackboard. Really? I mean, like simple <laughs> things. And I will never forget. So um, in the uh, Declaration of Independence, it's inalienable rights, right? Right. Yeah. She would say unalienable rights. <laughs> unalienable rights. Unalienable rights. That was my English teacher, guys. <laughs> Interesting. Your English teacher? That was my wow. English teacher. <laughs> wow. Uh, unalienable rights. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you. Have All a nice right. day. Bye. We'll see you later. Listen, I, yeah, I also want to say there are teachers, some, there have been phenomenal Absolutely. Yes. So we'll, we'll, and that is uh, an unalienable fact. We'll have that, <laughs> that caveat that there are also yeah. wonderful people in these That's businesses. a caveat fact. <laughs> I bought a house two years ago, and uh, we went through some real estate agents who should have been in another line of work. And, and, and there are, and we ended up with one who was phenomenal and knew the market well and knew how to buy houses and sell houses and was so helpful. I'm so grateful to her. But there were some real estate agents, I, maybe they just backed their way into that job or something. I, I don't know, but it, it just seemed to me like this is not the line of when, work for you. Nick, when, before we got the one where, who eventually got our house that's in Mount Airy. It's like dating, right, Steve? Like, you find yeah, one. Yeah, find the right one. Yeah. And then, But I'm, I'm tired of you. You hook up the, the real estate person, and it's always, and then here is the... Uh, Kitchen, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, they, they don't. They've never been in the house, you know. They, yeah, and, and it's almost like, um, you know, uh, uh, this is, uh, and this room has some lovely um, uh, 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 ground molding. Oh, I hate it. It's it. You're right. It's right. it can be changed. Yeah. Come on. And it's like have hey, some backbone. Now you see these windows. Now you can look out of these windows, and then if you're outside, you can right. look. Threw them back inside. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, I know how windows. Oh work. my God, these Which doors you... have handles. <laughs> Which you might find in a bacon, lettuce, and tomato right. sandwich, yes. to quote uh, Trading Places. Right? But realtors are, that job is what you make it. You know, yes. my brother, we talked about him earlier, uh, Jim, who, he's a real estate agent, and he 
is one of the most successful real estate agents that I know because that he made it his his job. It is his full time job. He doesn't just go out on you know to show houses every once in a while. He's like, passionate about he's it. He's passionate about it. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's go to some other uh, calls. I'm going to go to, let's go to Jared. Hi, Jared, good morning. Hey, guys, how are you? Good, what's up, man? So so my wife is a doctor, and she worked with another one a couple of years ago who absolutely led to the death of multiple people because of incompetence. Oh, my God. Uh, So was was this found out by the law, or what, what happened in this case? So, you know, a lot of the medical school is not easy to get into, and a lot of these foreign medical schools... If you pay the money, they'll let you in. Yeah. And then some underserved areas, they'll hire anybody. And they'll bring in these people who are just absolutely frightening, like missing the most basic things, messing up medicines, the dosages, uh, missing obvious things on tests. And my wife told me at least twice people probably would have lived at least for a while longer if it Ooh. wasn't for this person. So if you don't feel good about your doctor, you, you got to get rid of it. Yeah, Jerry, they, so that, that the long joke was that, you know, they, like in South America, they take their their uh, their their medical boards with the, the game of operation, you yeah. know. But, but there, Preston, when I was growing up, there was a doctor in town. Dr. Pospisil was his name. Pospisil. Pospisil. And uh, the final nail in his medical career was that he amputated a leg that in no way needed to be oh, amputated. Really and this this guy had a lot. And then once you heard that story, you heard the other stories right. of things he had done. And he was one of these old school, a uh, doctor who smoked back then when that happened. <laughs> yeah. And it was just, oh, my God. Wow. Uh, I will go next to, let's go to Emily. Hi, Emily. Good morning. Go. We were talking about uh, the uh, profession. You wouldn't believe some of the people they let do it, uh, even though they're inept. Um, yeah. So I work in, the, in hairdressing, and so the thing with hairdressing is you go to cosmetology school, but the program is only ten months. And then when you go to take your state board, there's not even like a practical portion to it anymore. So it's like just a written exam that you take, and then you can like go become a hairdresser, but. See, I've been doing it for 10 months, so... Wow. I would think, Emily, that they'd they'd have you at least show some of your chops on one of those, like, dummy heads there, like, uh, like you know, the the Barbies, the big Mm -hmm. Barbie bus that you could, you know, to show... See that so to your point, Preston. That's a thing where you would assume there's there is some sort of practical physical to show that you have some capability. Emily, does does that surprise you? It does. Like there used to be a practical, but apparently it was in the past two years they just removed it. I mean, wow. I was I was kind of happy about that because it made it easier for me to get my license. But um, so then, basically, after you get your license, you can either go like be an apprentice for a couple of years and then kind of get you know earn your chops that way, or you can go work at like other salons, um, like hair cuttery and stuff like that. All right. Um, well, let, then, let me ask you, Emily. So so while you're in this school for ten months, are you cutting any hair at all? Um, yeah, but it, because it's 10 months, it's like you learn a haircut, you practice it twice, and then you move on to the next thing. And then, like, <sighs> then there was a couple months where we would take people in from the street, but, like, you know, I, I, I gave some messed up haircuts. <laughs> so is, is, certainly, is, is there a classroom of people with safety scissors in in, in the midair going click, 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 click? Like, I, I, I'm cutting it this way because, to me, you would have to see... Wouldn't you have to see how you well, can execute yeah, so, that cut? 
so Emily, I think also what she was saying is that a lot of them will will go into a salon, and you don't if it's like a you know a reputable salon, you're not going to get hired right away to cut hair. Right. You're going to go in and be oh. an apprentice, and you're going to work under right. somebody yeah. for a pretty decent amount of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that's the path that I'm on right now because I was like, I don't want to go and make my mistakes like on people and have <laughs> them be like really mad at me. I'd rather have <laughs> like, I, I take time with my boss, and then I do cuts on mannequin heads, and then I bring in models. And, All right. Yeah. All right. So, so I, I guess I can get that. If 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 these if the standard procedures, you go to a salon and then you sort of uh, intern, and you right. you try your chops there under the tutelage of another person who's already practiced at it. I can get it. But still, that that throws that surprises me, Preston. That the actual licensing test doesn't yeah. require yeah. a practical. I think it used to be yeah. where they would bring yeah. in volunteers who would get a free cut yeah. and they would be mm-hmm. judged while they were... I'd like a haircut, please! Yes, exactly. <laughs> Just don't touch his testicles. Right here, Mr. Larry. He's got three of them. <laughs> I got uh, a problem! Alright, thank you, Emily. I had three testicles! Wow. No, I didn't know that. Uh, let's go to... Let me go to Justin. Hi, Justin. Good morning. Gadzooks, guys, what's up? Gadzooks, bud. So we're talking about uh, industries where you wouldn't believe they let people do this, even though they don't know what they're doing. Uh, well, here's one that'll scare you. It's because they're everywhere. Uh, truck drivers. Is that what you do? Yeah, I'm a truck driver. Okay. Are you talking about a semi or what kind of truck? Any kind of truck. Any I, kind of truck. I specifically, I drive a flatbed with a forklift on the back of it. Okay. But... That's a large enough vehicle, you know, many tons, and it, it can kill somebody easily. Sure. Yeah, oh, my God, what's, yeah. What's, what's crazy about it, uh, Justin, is that um, anybody can kind of drive a truck up into a certain weight. Is that correct? Yeah. When you have a Class B, you can only you can, uh, you can drive stuff that's like 26,000 pounds or heavier, but it has to be a single body. After that, you need a Class A if you're going to have, like, a trailer or anything attached to it. So so a, a Class C is what, for motorcycles and stuff like that, or what? A class C is just for regular cars. You need a class M for a motorcycle. When when I went, I one time I went to the motor vehicle. It was here, and they gave. And I remember getting the the study material, and I'm like, God, there's a lot of stuff about trucks and and uh, and stuff like that. And they were they were giving me the wrong stuff for a, for a, uh, a truck license test. It's a, it's an entirely set of different set of information, correct? It is. It's like you have to you have to know your weight classes and everything. You yeah, have to know like, having hazmat and all. I just want to drive my goddamn car. <laughs> Okay, that's, that's the problem. There is a lot of these rules of what happens is so many people go for that test and get pushed through and they don't have what's like it's not in the book, but you really need to have like good decision making and good judgment calls. Like if you're driving in traffic, you have to always be prepared to have an exit route so you don't rear end somebody or you can avoid danger that's up ahead. I'll tell you what the, the guys we deal with, like the guys who, who um, you know, uh, come out and work the camp out for hunger. Yeah. Uh, and do all the that tr- the surgical nature which they park those trucks and move that stuff out. Yeah, and because those t- are the good ones. Yeah, those are the good ones. The yeah. bad ones. Like I'll give you a, a short story. Guy I used to work with. He scared me every day. I don't know how he had his uh, class A CDL. And I'm just like he's driving tractor trailers. And I was I remember working with this guy. He's sitting in my truck, and I'm telling him because I I can tell something's not quite taking with him. But I'm like, look, man. We don't have proper GPSs in this truck. They will take you to low bridges. You have to be careful. And I kept telling him it. He got into his uh, his tractor trailer, goes down towards the main line, and wrecks the truck. And I'm he goes under a bridge that's too short. Mm-hmm. And I told him I said, and I looked at the bridge he hit, and I'm like, how did you hit that <laughs> on the on the on the on the stoplight before the bridge? 
there is a laser warning that lights up and flashes saying your truck is too high. Oh, it, it flat also- out can wow. detect oh, how yeah. big oh, your yeah. truck is and says, and he's still hitting. Yeah. Oh, Justin, is it right at two, is it at two fifty two and thirty by any chance? Um, I don't think that was it. It was a different one. I'm just like. Look, that, the lights weren't even the worst part. <laughs> they have barrels hanging down from a pole that'll scrape the top of your truck. Mm-hmm. He ran through those so hard they looped around. And <laughs> he was playing like tetherball. Yeah. So oh, he ignored funny. multiple signs, flashing lights, hanging barrels, and just straight up full sent it through the bridge. And like, oh my god! Wow. Yeah, that makes you that that worries you. Yeah, it does. Yeah, especially yeah. when you're driving around and stuff like that. Hey, Justin, I have a, a, a side question. You, you don't sound like it. Are you a big guy? Uh, I'm getting fat because I got married. Well, not <laughs> <laughs> almost all truck drivers I see are big dudes. I mean, like not no. just not not wide. I mean, just big guys. I see them all well, the time. They're usually big guy crawling out of that cab. I like to call myself <laughs> big sexy, but I'm just like I'm, I'm a normal I'm a normal guy. Big, I gotta, right. I ain't to train. Right. All right. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate no problem, it, man. Guys. Wow. Uh, yeah, that one's interesting. Uh, let's see. How about we have a lot of different ones to go to. Yeah. How about Ben on uh, line eight here? I'm going to go to Ben. You're on the air. Ben. Good morning, guys. How hey, are you all doing? Good, man. So you are a chemist. Yeah, so I, I'm actually a professor at one of the local universities. But before that, I was an industrial scientist. Okay. Uh, as a chemist, we work with things that you know can explode. They're <laughs> pyrophoric. They they burst into flames on exposure to air, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and one, of the, one day it was in the lab, and... This scientist uh, pulled me aside and said he's got this bottle of, uh, of a particular compound called butylithium. And he called the site safety officer and wanted to know what to do with it because they cracked down the side. Uh, and it's the kind of thing that if you know, expose it to air, even a little bit, it'll burst the flames immediately. Jesus. Imagine a, a liter is, of a lot of material, right? <laughs> so you know this, by the way. The other, the other people don't know this, but you're well aware. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. And the, and the safety guy, is this is a 5,000-person facility. He's supposed to be head of... You know, know all the stuff about safety. You told him to just oh, go toss it in a bucket of water, right? And I, and I said, no, 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 wait a minute. And uh, you know, because I had been the safety officer before this guy, and so I called the, the site fire marshal who works for the company. And you know, ten hours later, we've got the bomb squad out with the big wow. steel balls to take it out, clear it out the floor. And when, when they took it out in the parking lot at about one in the morning, it created a a, a twenty foot fireball. Oh my uh, Jesus Christ! So he 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 was telling you initially just to put it in a bucket of water. Yeah, yeah. Well, fortunately, the guy who we were speaking to knew, knew better than that, and just got an inkling that didn't sound right. Uh, yeah, it would have. So in that in that lab, we had probably about fifty or sixty liters of solvent, so and plus other chemicals. So if, if you'd done that, it would have blown up, created a twenty foot fireball, and ignited everything else in the lab. Probably would have destroyed the building. Wow. To that to that point, yeah. and it, uh, to uh, chemicals and being unaware, and this is totally. Uh, you know, it's it, this is low end compared to what you were doing, but there's a thing. There's also an article, Preston, that just recently came out about combining cleaning fluids. And yes, one of my correct. one of my first jobs was, you know, cleaning, just mopping up. I was what they called the porter, and the woman who was one of the managers of the place said. Just we we make a mixture. We put the Ajax in the Clorox. Uh-huh. Yeah, ammonium bleach, bad idea. And, and I, I swear to God, I'd be mopping with this stuff. So I was young, but there'd be a lot of old people sitting in there at the counter with their with their coffee, and you start to see them start swaying. <laughs> I, I was basically yeah, like yeah. making mustard gas, right? Yeah, you're lucky. People people die doing that. You know, they do it in their home, in a, like in, in a bathroom or something like that, where it's a closed environment. And they end up dead. Yeah, so it's Ben. Very dangerous. In in your industry, do you from time to time come across people that you can't believe that they are doing All that the they time. are chemists? Really? All the time. Yes. <sighs> you know, most most time we have 
we have so many layers of safety and precautions, you know, that, that you keep them, it keeps them from doing things that can really get in trouble. But, you know, there there are things that happen even with the smartest of people. There was a, I remember a story a couple of years ago, probably about 10, 15 years ago, uh, a, a first person in California was working with something called dimethylmercury. Uh, it's very dangerous because it's a, it's a very powerful alkylating agent. You can alkylate DNA very quickly. She spilled about a drop or so on her on her on her ungloved hand. Was dead six months later. Oh, so it, uh, so you're saying it will it will it will absorb right? It will break apart your your actual flesh or what? Well, what it, is doesn't, it? it doesn't break it apart. It, it will go. So it goes it goes right through the skin, absorbs and, in your system. and, and alkylates the uh, so it puts the methyl groups or, or carbon CH3s on 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 the DNA where it shouldn't be, and that screws oh. up all sorts of stuff. Oh my but god! There's, there's other things. I mean, we have we work with things something called dimethyl sulfoxide. Which on its own is not very dangerous, but it will go through directly through the skin on its own. Uh, and if it's got a chemical inside it, you know, so say any, anything, it carries it straight through the skin. So if you had, say, sodium cyanide in DMSO and you got a drop on your skin, well, guess what? You're dead from cyanide poisoning. Wow. That yeah. is cyanide. dangerous. I, I would like to know everything. I'd like wow. to, I, I want the, the, the smartest people working with that stuff. Yeah, yeah that's well, alarming. Like said, there's, there's a lot of very, very uh, heavy precautions that we take. Yeah. So that the, the people in the industry, even the ones who perhaps shouldn't be there, are safe just because it's, we're so careful about how we do things. Right. I, uh, I assume, anybody, yeah. Anybody yeah. who gets into our lab that doesn't do the right, the right safety precautions, uh, you, they get thrown out pretty damn quickly. Interesting. Uh, or they, or they blow themselves up. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Ben. Well, that too. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. <laughs> have a good one. S- someday we'll have to do another conversation of uh, who has the most dangerous job that yeah. listens to the show because that sounds pretty wild. And also, there's another thing. Cause I saw a text come up that said, uh, and whether it's true or not, I don't know. It said in Pennsylvania, uh, you pay if you uh, you pay sixty dollars and you can call yourself a contractor. Oh, what? Wow. And I, and that's another conversation. What can you just pay for? And, <laughs> you know, like Steve's a uh, she's, he's a he's a yeah he's a minister. minister. But don't pay don't 50. diminish it. <laughs> it is what it, you it make took, it. it. I spent over four minutes. Yeah, filling out your my form and yeah. my credit card information. Yeah, that's another one. What can you pay this amount for? And all of a sudden, you've got this title. Maybe that's why there are all those contractors. Though they're constantly doing the stories about them. Just you know, taking off. Well, they need the, the, yeah. taking that's the money an industry. And off. Kathy, you're exactly right. Where they they you need to vet the person who's doing work on your home. Yeah, when we first, uh, when I was living with my parents, the person who did our deck was my cousin, and yeah. he was he was just starting out, and the the whole deck was fine. The steps, on the other hand, yeah. um, he didn't like. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. Didn't connect them. Well, so you know how <laughs> they like, were floating. So, well, kind of. Yeah. You know how like uh, the frame of the steps, kind of. It's you know like uh, they basically steps. look like steps, yeah. and then you place a board over top of them. Yeah. He didn't do it that way. He basically just had like two slabs of. Of wood that went down and then nailed the steps into each other. Oh, I know oh, what you're right, talking about. God. Right, right. Um, and That's not going to hold over time. It did not. Yeah. I mean, it, but that was luckily for us because the deck was a little high off the ground. That was like the only, the, the rest of the deck held fine. But the steps, on the other hand, hey, was like, 80% of it stayed perfectly <laughs> intact. Uh, let me go. We only have time for a couple more calls. I'm going to go to uh, Danette. Is that your name, Danette? Yes, that's my name. Hi, Danette. What you're a uh, you're an RN. You're a nurse. Yes, I am. That's oh. true. Okay, and... and I can tell you, uh, I can second the notion that there's a lot of terrible surgeons out there. So <laughs> always ask a nurse who to go to. Okay, and also there are terrible, 
terrible, have no business being nurses, nurses out there. What if you ask one of them for advice on your yeah. surgery? You got to ask the surgeon. Go ask the surgeon. Yeah. No, no, obviously, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you this because I'll tell you my personal experience. Every time I've been, you know, uh, having pr- procedures done or whatever, it's the nurse that always seems to have the beat on what's going on, and it's it's yeah. always they're the ones. Thank you now, so now we much. Have, we have a great doctor. We have Doctor uh, uh, Mike, who's fantastic. But the people that I've encountered, uh, um, you know, in, in the in the pen group. I have n- I, all very thorough, but I imagine with that many people, you're going to get some some bad or inexperienced or people just not good at their job. What's the worst dereliction of nursing duty you have ever seen? Oh, God, I, that would require an entire show. <laughs> okay. um, it's that bad, is it? Yeah, it can be that bad. And, you know, it's just a lot of uh, younger, newer nurses graduate from school and they think it's this like glamour job. And then they end up, um, you know, and they get straight A's in school and they love to talk about that. And the Ivy League schools that they get their nursing degree from, but yet they have no common sense whatsoever and end up, you know, making very uh, dangerous and can be life-threatening nursing mistakes. So, you know, when you think about in terms of uh, it's really the nurse who's there with you most of the time or all of the time. Um, yes. And what they need to know and be capable of, there's a lot out there who are not. Huh. And it's, it's, it's scary. And what's even scarier about that is that um, a lot of people, they graduate from nursing school and decide that they can't handle, you know, hospital or or clinical or floor nursing. So they become and, truck drivers. <laughs> no, they become nurse practitioners. And now they're writing you prescriptions. Oh, jeez. And, and that's even scarier. Well, so my mom has had a very long career as a registered nurse, and she has a lot of different certifications. But if you put a needle in her hand, she's what is that? Get that away from me. She oh, I wonder do, where that comes from. She can't do, like, <laughs> an, an IV, any sort of inject. Like, she, she, we laugh at her. We're like, you, you did go to nursing school, right? But my mom has always worked in, in drug and alcohol. She's been a psychiatric nurse her entire time. And when okay. she went to nursing school in the emergency room, she was like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I can't do this part. It's awful. The, the part uh, now, now the ineptitude of, of some would be would definitely be scary. And, and listen, I understand in almost any industry, if you're in it for a while, you can become desensitized uh, yeah. to certain things. And the ones that that kind of bother me a little bit when it comes to uh, uh, medical workers is when you have what you perceive as something is very important or very uh, you know scary. And are kind of brushed off because they see this type of thing every day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. it, it's happened on rare occasions to me, and I just like I'm like, oh, I, I had hurts. once I had one situation. It was just a one one guy. It wasn't a nurse, but it's a, a guy. At, uh, I was getting a barium swallow, you know, and I was getting the test, and this guy was just totally like, you know, like stand aside, stand to the left, to the left, and, and he's barking at commands, and, and I went. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is new for me, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So calm down, yeah. Dr. Feelgood. Let's <laughs> relax here. And, 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 and I mean, you could see him, and even the nurse was almost looking at me like, finally, someone's saying stuff to this jerk off. And then later on, I was asking other people, and everyone would go, oh, yeah. Yeah. That was the one guy. Otherwise, the nurses and all, you know, 
you because again, you're, you're pressing your right. You don't know what you have, yeah. and you're relying on their uh, a their kindness and b their expertise. Yep. Do we have time to go to, Thanks to Glenn, to the anesthesiologist? Because I'd love to hear about awful uh, habits. It's going to be a quick one. Okay. Now. So let me go to him real quick. Hi, uh, <laughs> Glenn. You're on the air. Good morning. Hey guys, I think me and Danette know a lot of the same people. <laughs> so you're an anesthesiologist or an anesthetist? Which is it? No, I'm an anesthesiologist. I work. With so you believe in God? <laughs> that's, oh, no, that's an atheist. I'm sorry. Or an atheist. No, I do. Yeah. I do. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. I've worked with all types. I've worked with great surgeons. Most of them are great. Seriously, most surgeons are great. But then they're the ones who just do whatever they want and figure they'll just kind of wing it. So when they get in there, they just look at the rep, and they go, the rep's the guy who comes, comes and brings the equipment. Yep. And, and they go, so uh, what do I do next? <sighs> and the rep goes, well, do it. You know, you have to turn, no doctor, turn it left, not right. And I'm just standing there like, what the f is going on? Right, and, right. Like you didn't do your homework before you came in here. And I'm just trying to give anesthesia and keep this person alive because the doctor's doing his best part, doing the opposite. And you know that's when I had one guy who was shaking. He must have been 85 years old. He was shaking so hard. I was ready just to come in and take over for him. I mean, I don't know if he didn't take his pills that morning or not. That was horrible. I, I'll, I'll tell you what, from my from a patient's point, you know, like when you people like, and I've had, the, you know, I've been put under for for a couple of different things. You guys are are very important. I've always had a good experience where you're made to feel comfortable that you're being put under. You're, you know, you're, you're and you don't know what yeah. to what to anticipate. And and every time it's it's been wow that these people have been really nice and really cool. And I think that's a key part as well. Just besides the expertise, the inability yeah. to relate to the patient, I'm sure, is a critical failure for a lot of these people. Oh yeah, a lot of well, a lot of anesthesiologists understand that after the years they develop this certain camaraderie with the patients to try to help them relax. That's kind of what we do. And again, you don't learn that in school. You just go, well, this woman's not calming down no matter what I do. So come on, I just distract her and tell a few jokes. And after a while, hey, that kind of works. So then you develop this whole routine. Yeah. And it turns into this comedy show. It's kind of kind of <laughs> circle. Some people just don't laugh at all though. Well, you, yeah. you sound good at it. I, yeah, yeah. There wasn't. I, I, I've had. Yeah. No, sorry, Glenn. I was just going to ask you because there was an anesthesiologist, and I forget the exact story, so I'm not going to give the details that I think they are. But basically, it w- uh, he was at fault for uh, a few children that had died during <laughs> surgery uh, and, yeah. and was fired from his job. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but I mean, there's got to be some anesthesiologists that don't quite have it together either. Well, I know I know a lot of anesthesiologists, not including me, but that won't even go near children. I mean, I know. I, I know I have a colleague right now. She's like, I want to take this new job, but I don't want to go near children because I can't have that on my mind if right. something were yeah. to happen. It, so that's why you have, you know, pediatric anesthesiologists that train an extra three gazillion years. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a very precise thing. It's, it's, it's a critical step, uh, you oh. know. But it, honestly, if you want to... If you wanna, Get that off your mind and not worry as much. Say you're administering administering the anesthesia and really don't. Yeah, and there you go. Sure. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks, Have a good one. Appreciate it. Wow, it's interesting. There's little... been stories like that, Preston, where people were not given anything and were yeah. fully awake for procedures. Yeah. Loads of calls that we're not going to be able to get to, obviously, of uh, people who have seen, you know, <gasps> 
for the scary things. Of, yeah. Uh, this individual should not be doing this, yet they are continued to allow to do it. So uh, thanks for your calls. We appreciate that. I just want to remind you, we are professionals here at the President <laughs> Steve Show. We are surgeons. <laughs> yeah. We are. We paid the 50 bucks. <laughs> we did. Yeah, we got the policy. You don't even need an FCC license anymore, no, man. Right. You used to. You guys don't have them. Oh, I, thank God I there's do. no such thing in our industry as malpractice yeah, because seriously? we would be sued at the yin yang. Stutter through yeah. live reads. Coming back with the bizarre files. Love MMR? Buy some gear. Check out the rock shop at WMMR.com. It's, it's, no, it's, it's not. HD. It ain't just for your TV anymore. Use your HD radio to hear the best sounding MMR there is. Plus, enjoy MMR HD 2, the MMR Archives channel. Everything that rocks never sounded so good. Fancy. Now, back with more of the Preston and Steve Show podcast. Our next guest is going to be performing at Ardmore Music Hall tonight. I'm playing a little bit of music from his new album, which is titled Behold Electric Guitar, which I absolutely love. Uh, And I'm going to let this play out just a little bit. I'm going to try to hit this intro just right at the right time. co-creators of the band Mr. Big is one of the biggest most badass guitarists in the world in my humble opinion ladies and gentlemen please welcome to the program Mr. Paul Gilbert How you doing, Paul? I'm doing good. I'm ready with my thoughtful answers. You're waiting for your thoughtful answers. I'm, I'm ready. Oh, you to, are to give ready. thoughtful answers <laughs> after the after the Jack White review. I've got to do my best. We 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 have every confidence that you'll be uh, thoughtful. Uh, I, I'm talking to you before the before this uh, this conversation right now. You presented yourself in a thoughtful manner, so we thank you for that. <laughs> uh, listen, I've been a fan uh, for quite a while. I'm excited to to have you in and, and finally meet you in person. Uh, <clears throat> I want to explain to some people who may not know the name Paul Gilbert. There, you have a lot of fans. Uh, most guitarists would know who you are. Everybody who knows me knows me. Yeah, exactly, right? One hundred percent. But, but I've only had one. I was only famous for two weeks in 1992. So that's, that's... <laughs> not so, not so. Uh, when I mentioned, I mentioned to my brother, who's a uh, uh, you know was a, was in a uh, a band for a long time, a big uh, guitar. Fan, and the second I mentioned your name, he's like, "Oh, really?" So there's there's a big level of excitement, and and especially with the the show at the Ardmore, people are very excited. Yeah, I, I, we played the Ardmore last year, and it was fantastic. So I'm really happy to come back. We, of we, course, go ahead. And and last year we we just barely put together my electric guitar version of the Rocky theme. <laughs> but since then we put we got the whole, like the whole thing and and all the bells and whistles. So it's, really, it's really sounded good now. Yeah, we're hearing a little tease of it as you were warming up. So yeah. that's very cool. Well, I, I, I love playing it. I played it every city, but so uh, you, we hear it. We, we it makes more well. sense. It makes sense here. <laughs> so Paul, when I when I do meet people and and we're talking music and and I'll say <clears throat> one of my favorite guitars, you know, is this guy Paul Gilbert. If they're a guitarist, they'll know exactly who I'm talking about. Some people don't, and I have to explain. Okay, so, you know, he was in this band, Mr. Big. Before that, there was this band called Racer X. You may or may not know. Metal, real intense, shredding, crazy, really technical, awesome music. But then I try to explain your solo career as well. Good luck. And that's... So, (laughs) it's hard to quantify it, you know? I mean, because there's elements of, of, of blues and jazz and metal and all this stuff... 
How? What's a good way to describe your music? Well, it's it's still evolving, and the discovery I made was that I really always wanted to be not a guitar player but a lead singer. Because when I was a kid, those were the records I had. I, my parents had the Beatles records and Stones and and bands that had lead vocalists, and I liked Led Zeppelin because. Robert Plant had a great voice. Now, I didn't have a particularly great voice, and that didn't stop me from trying. Right. But it also didn't stop me from kind of, you know, not, not doing as well as I would have liked to as a lead singer. So um, the discovery that I made on this new album, Behold Electric Guitar, is that I can actually play the vocal line on the guitar. So, you know, take it like a really challenging vocal, like, uh, you know, the which, you know, with my little falsetto, it's not so good. Right. <laughs> but, you know, you play it on guitar. Suddenly, you know, those notes are there. And yeah. it's just, you know, it's my responsibility to get them right, but at least I can hit them. You know? Well, I was mentioning to you the song Let That Battery Die, which is on the new album, and that is exactly what I thought. I'm like, it sounds like someone's singing. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's and, when I wrote the tunes, was that I would have a lyric, and, you know, that, the initial lyrics for that were like, what was it? Um... Again, I'm squeaking it out. Yeah. But on the, with the guitar, you know, I can get a lot of control and a nice tone. And so for the first time in my life, I'm actually able to connect my inner melodic generator okay. with an instrument that functions. Okay. <laughs> what, is, what is that called, though, when the, when the guitar line mimics the, the lyric? Because uh, Trey oh, does like, that all the time. Like I, George well, Benson well, or yeah. something. Something would be scatting, which yeah. is jazz when you play... Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's more improvisation, which I do too. Uh, there's a lot of improvisation in the show, but I, I, I try to base it. It's nice to have melodies. All right. I'm a big fan of melodies and, and regular songs. And rather than, you know, most guitar players who do the whittly whittly stuff that I do, you know, will go off the deep end with the whittly whittly and have, you know, <laughs> really complicated, impossible to listen to progressive tunes. Yeah. And I'm still a fan of the, the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and Aerosmith and, and you know, the, the regular rock bands. What? And so now I can step on stage and, and really be the lead singer via my guitar. Okay. To that point, and, I, and I've seen, like, I, I've recounted many times on this uh, show, uh, going with my brother years ago to see Bay Malmsteen and so on and so forth, and technically very amazing, um, um, you know, but but there, again, at a certain point, that whittly whittly can become soulless, and and uh, and and you're not that way, you you know, you, you're there's there's a panacea of, of of stuff that happens when you're playing, and and. Um, you know that it's uh, again talking to my brother about you and your appearance, saying that you you know uh, the the thought might have been to lump you in with a lot of these people, but you're not. And, and so um, you know, uh, would you consider yourself how how important is jazz and 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 that aspect of music in in what you play? Well, well, jazz like and you put any label on it's a big label. Yeah, it is a big label. Yeah, yeah. A lot of things, but to, to me, um, I got into jazz trying to be a better blues guitar player. Right. When, from playing blues, you know, a lot of the guitar players play the same licks. They're good licks. Right, yeah. You know, but if you're a guitar player playing blues, you know, you sort of do the same things. And so I started going back to the, the, the 50s jazz horn players. You know, Duke Ellington, Johnny Hodges was a sax player in his band, and they'd have these really... Beautiful straight-ahead blues things. It wasn't like weird avant-garde jazz. Real straight-ahead and melodic, but different than the way a guitar player would typically phrase. 
And so that, that's, that's the jazz I got into, was really just people who were, played different instruments playing blues, and I could steal their licks and get different stuff. All right, so um, to play the guitar the way you play the guitar, there, there's, there's got to be a lot of things that work in your favor. Dexterity is one of those things, right? Um, but uh, Preston has shown me a lot of videos of you playing. And when you play, I, I get blown away, and I, and I wonder, like, what are you thinking as you're playing these notes? Like, are you thinking, you know, or is it just a feeling that comes over time with a lot of practice? Well, that's a good question. I asked myself the same question. I realized a lot of the faster stuff is the the musical equivalent of going, um, and, um, um, you know, just like not knowing what to say, and I fill it in. With going, and, and and when I actually have meaning to what I want to say, that's when it gets more melodic, and I actually, you know, am hearing what I'm what I'm playing. Do you ever make yourself cry with uh, with a, a piece of music that you've played? Because yeah. it, it can be very emotional. I I, I did, and it, it it was wonderful. And so I'm not going to ask you what you were thinking as you were playing it, but <sighs> all right. Well, well, so it was just the, the music was right. Okay. Right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have a couple of things in common, uh, you and I, Paul. Number one, I have tinnitus, uh, so I have, I have hearing issues. I have, I have hearing loss, uh, and uh, I'm a musician as well. I play drums. I gave it up because of uh, the hearing issues. It was yeah. doing too much damage. But I've recently uh, found it again because I now play an electronic drum kit, and I can put headphones on, and I have volume control, which is wonderful. And I've seen you, videos, many videos of you playing with, with headphones on. Um, do you still do that, uh, first of all? Does that help you out? Uh, no, I just wear earplugs. Yeah. Now you just wear earplugs, <laughs> like in-ear monitors, or? No, they're just earplugs. Just, just regular earplugs. No I kidding. Just, I just try to block out the, the loud stuff, and, and, you know, it's still loud. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's just not as loud to me. Okay. And, and because, of, you know, earplugs definitely block out a lot of sound, so I have to know what I'm doing a little more. Which is actually a really good assignment to give, to give yourself. You know, before I would sort of listen as I played and, and make adjustments. And now I kind of have to know from inside. I have to be able to predict where the right notes are. So, you know, I don't have a perfect pitch. So I have to, you know, find my key first. But once that's planted, you know, I can, I can hit other notes bef- with, and know what they are in advance. You know, if I want to hit... I know where that is. Okay. With, with, with that, like... So I, can, I can find those before I hit them, rather than hit them and then and then adjust from there. Okay, would All that right. be like the equivalent of like for I do a lot of uh, audio editing and I can edit without actually hearing it. I'm looking at the waveform and I can sort of see. So you're sort of you're in, in a way you just feel it as more than. Well, this is this might be more of a dramatic metaphor, but, yeah. but I, I think of it more like a blind person knowing their way around their room because they've memorized where the couch is. Okay, and I have that's I, wild. I, I memorize where the notes are because I, I know in my brain what they sound. And of course, I hear them a little bit. Yeah, I'm yeah, not, yeah. Not totally deaf. Um, but uh, if anything, my hearing loss is just like the treble way, way down. Oh, okay. So you know, I can still tell that red is red. Is I just can't tell if it's you know. What texture it is. Right. Magenta. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then the other thing we have in common is we have collaborated with some of the same artists before. Uh, <laughs> yes. I've had, uh, I've had a drum off with Mike Portnoy in this very studio. Yeah. And uh, I'm an honorary member of Steel Panther as well. <laughs> uh, Satchel gave me a name. My name is Tommy Tom Tom Thompson. <laughs> when, good name. When I play with the band. But you go back with those guys with Steel Panther, right? Well, well uh, Satchel, I guess he is his official name right um we used to we had a cover band because he, he used to watch my house when i went on tour with mr big 
and uh, I'd, I'd get back and I'd have like a week off and we'd go, hey, let's learn some tunes. And we'd, we'd, we'd just, we'd challenge ourselves. We'd learn like 20 songs in a, in a week and go play them somewhere. Yeah. And uh, he, he used to borrow my, you know, I had my home studio and he'd always make demos that sounded better than mine. Really? <laughs> and, and you and Portnoy have done a few projects together. Yellow Matter Custard, the, Be- the Beatles tribute band. Oh, that was a blast. Yeah, it had that to have been. A, well, Mike, besides being a good drummer, is a really good organizer. So he would, he would put together... Uh, the, the Beatles one, he put together a Led Zeppelin one. Uh, we did a one for The Who and one for Rush. Yeah. And surprisingly I, I, enough, you know, Rush, of course, considered to be a, 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 you know, a hard-to-play prog band. That was the easiest one for me to do just because I had played that stuff as a teenager. Yeah, yeah. And The Who was the roughest one because you know, all, all Pete Townsend's chords were, were much higher. They were just sort of different than I was used to. They no kidding. The, they weren't the big, chunky power chords. They're more high up. He yeah. plays rhythm on, on the high part, which, yeah. which sounds great. You know? Yeah, that's but, cool. But I, I really had to learn, you know, study to get the Pete Townsend stuff right. Nice. I had uh, I had recently kind of rediscovered you a couple of years ago, uh, thanks to YouTube. I was um, <clears throat> I forgot I'd been searching around guitar players or something like that, and a video of you came up, and it said, um, I think it said Paul Gilbert Gilbert handles hecklers. And it was you on stage, I think, in New York, and some people are talking like that, and, and you said something along the lines, you know what, I'm louder than you. <laughs> you just you know, like an E chord or something like that and shut them up really quick. That's the power of the electric the guitar. The power of the electric guitar. <laughs> and then it started leading me down a path of, of, of watching other videos of you perform, and I even found some videos of you when you were like a teenager. Uh, because for those who don't know Paul, Paul was a bit of a... Um, uh, a phenom as a, as a kid, like 15, yeah. 16 years old, you started making waves in the world of heavy metal. You know, there were uh, rumors of you maybe playing an Aussies band and so on and so forth. And nowadays, with this video medium, we see all kinds of people that are these virtuosos, these kids that can play like nobody's business. Uh, and it's interesting with, with all of these people who have this ability out there right now um, that we don't really have the guitar heroes like we used to, if you know what I mean. I have no idea what you mean. You have no idea what I mean. <laughs> you, you, know, you know exactly what I mean. Eddie Van Halen. In the height of Van Halen, it was like God yeah. status. Well, well, Eddie Van Halen had David Lee Roth. Yeah. And he had Alex. To me, like, those two are, are twins. You, know, you, you have to have Alex to have Eddie. They're, they sound so good together. But um, I, I also do a lot of guitar teaching. I have an online guitar school, and, and I've, I've given over 7,000 video lessons on that, on that school so far. And so I get to watch a lot of young players, and there are are physical trends. Now I have to be careful because I have I'm a tall person with big hands. Yes. So I can reach things that not everybody can reach. Um, but the, the thing that that I've sort of become passionate about it again. This might be sort of arcane guitar stuff, but I am a thumb overer. Yeah. <laughs> if you look at any picture, you know, Google Jimi Hendrix or, yeah. or Richie Blackmore or, you know, anybody kind of pre-1985, and they're going to have their thumb hanging way over the guitar because it, 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 it makes you strong when you bend a string. You sit there and, and bend a string all day. Now, a lot of the modern players are thumb-behinders, which, okay. which to me is like, ah! <laughs> and, and, and you know they have more of a classical technique. You, you never hear a classical person b- bending a string. You know they may have make you know play some beautiful Bach, right? But they're not going to wail away. <laughs> and what's that band company saying? Rock steady. It's not going to happen from Segovia. It's, yeah. it's, it's great as <laughs> so, and then that's what I grew up 
prim primarily, you know, my era that I that I really feel that I'm attached to is, you know, the late '60s when Hendrix came out, and you know, Led Zeppelin was born, and Black Sabbath, and then you know, into the into the '70s with with Richie Blackmore and Angus Young, and Gary Moore, and of course Van Halen was came out in in the, in the late '70s. Yeah. So um, that that language of guitar. Um, you know, I can't escape it. That's just it's that's the it's the language. That's what I what I speak. And even though I you know learn how to speed things up here and there, uh, mm. I, still to me the the voice that I speak with is it was born in the seventies and is in and is best played with a thumb hanging way over the neck. It seems like, and, and I've seen videos of you, and we're, we're going to get Paul to play here in a moment, um, that you, you've really embraced uh, gone back to to falling in love with with the blues and playing expressively and so on. Do you uh, and and but but shredding is is kind of what you've been labeled as as well. I mean, your ability, your your technical ability is amazing. Does that bother you at all that that uh, people see you as a guy who could just rip oh, up through what the, a pro the problems that I have? <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> it's a. Uh... You know, it is what it is. I mean, I, I get up every day and I play my guitar, and, and you know, it's uh, the, the, the YouTube thing you mentioned is is amazing. Uh, you know, I grew up with albums, so I, I never expected to, to communicate with the world that way. And I do have to mention one of you. You know, if you're in YouTube, there's there's one where I was doing a clinic, and I had this little loop pedal, and I decided to put like the most scary, frightening shred lick that I could ever do inside the loop pedal. So I just pressed the button, and it goes. And I would I would pretend to play with my teeth, <laughs> and, and then I, I would and then I would press that button, and and every the whole audience was like, oh my god! <laughs> and, and, and so of course it, it he's was, playing with his teeth. Yeah, he's playing you know, sweet picking with his teeth. How did you do that? And it, it was a guitar clinic, so you know, everybody raised their hands and goes like, how did you know, how did you do that with your teeth? And I said, well, you know, it's pretty impressive to do sweet picking with your teeth, but I said it's really impressive to do it. With your ass. Oh, yes. <laughs> and then I, you know, I just wiped the guitar, you know. That's on great. My backside. That's awesome. And uh, and there's, you know, it's on, you know, so if you, you know, Google my name and, and sweep and, you know, yeah. the beat, you know, the right. ass, if you can say that on the radio. I ask, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we're yes. definitely going to check that out. I love it. Uh, well, are you, are you going to play a song for us? What would you like to do? I don't or? know. Well, do you have any requests? Uh, what, from the new album? No, well, I, and, and from anything. From anything. Come on, you you got the the, I, the world is your oyster right now. Um a theme to what's happening. No. Since I'm in Philadelphia, I'm a huge fan of Todd Rundgren, so I gotta play like the, the, the like like the Todd Rundgren, my favorite riff, which is that uh But you know what with chords you have to be in tune. That's the problem. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you may want to do that. Yeah. And uh the other, well, of course, there's the Rocky theme. There's, um, I saw Todd Rundgren play with Daryl Hall on, on YouTube. And that was a great, I've seen them play together a couple of times. They're they, great. They did that, uh, wouldn't, or was it, uh, didn't I blow your mind this time from the, this is stylistics. They, they knew how to dress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Paul's in a full suit this morning. Yeah, looking yeah. quite dapper. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I figure if, if, if at least the suit's awake. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's see. Let, let me, um, let me just get some sound and figure out, get my sure, just, Yeah, go let, ahead. Let, let, yeah. Let it well, you know what I got to show you is my slide magnet. Okay. Oh, okay. I, I saw that. that. I saw it. <laughs> I've got, I, I put a really strong magnet inside my, the lower horn of my guitar so a steel slide will, will stick there. Wow. And it makes a very satisfying kerthwonk when you put it back. <laughs> but I can grab it really. And it, actually, you know what led to all this was... Um, 
there was uh, the, the Janis Joplin tune, Mercedes Benz. Yeah. And which is only her just stomping her foot, you know, it's like, oh, Lord, watch by me and yep. Mercedes Benz. And I, I thought, if I can do that on guitar, you know, then, then I've kind of accomplished something in terms of like trying to get a vocal line because there's no hiding behind the band. I just got to do. So, you know, that's really different from the typical, you know. <laughs> it sounds like a piranha attack. Uh, uh, uh. Can you give us a little of the Rocky you were playing before, the Rocky theme? Oh, yeah. Yeah. something uh there is uh there's a video of you uh, playing along in the studio to technical difficulties which is a um racer x song uh. amazing piece of instrumental music and, and at the end of it you do this run that just blows me away i, th I think it's, it's it's like classic whittly whittly yeah it is totally <laughs> whittly whittly <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. By the way, have you ever measured how long your pinky is on your left hand? I have not. But well, that, I'm actually I'm cheating today because this guitar has a shorter neck than than most the standard guitar. Oh, really? So Cheater. you know, I can actually reach from like the, the 12th fret God, beyond the end. You know. But again, to, to me, the, the the horizontal stretch is less important than the vertical. Being able to get the thumb over. Okay. And that's you know that, that again, the, having a, a smaller guitar is is, is helpful for that. That, yeah. that thumb thing makes sense because they were showing the original director's cut of Woodstock the other night, and yeah. I, I'm looking at Hendrix, and I, the only way to describe it is it's, it's a sexy style of playing, but he's he's you know he's basically giving a handy to the guitar, you know, <laughs> and and it's it's but the, the thumb is constantly you know out there, and I, I now that you mentioned it, I'm like yeah, that's that was his style. He was. He was strangling the, uh, the 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 guitar. Well, uh, for some reason, the metaphor I always think of is is having to lift large pieces of furniture. Like if you have to push a refrigerator, you've got to line up your body in such a way where you you can give it. You can push it. Yeah. You get your feet against something that's solid, and the same thing when you're pushing a string, you have to kind of get yourself in a position where you can get some power behind it. Is it hard when you talk about teaching and doing the online course and stuff like that? Have you ever taught somebody one-on-one? -on -one and if, is it difficult if you have to have your ability and to have to ratchet down to take a beginner? 
Well, I, I, I love teaching beginners because there's still hope. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> if you teach somebody who's been playing a long time, chances they're set in their ways. Yeah, it's, yeah. It might be really hard to untangle something. Uh, you know, not if they're willing to do it. But right. With, with, with beginners, it's, you know, it's a, more of a blank slate. You can really get people, you know, moving pretty quickly. Right. Uh, with these, uh, with with the progressive songs uh, that that you put together, the really complex ones, uh, uh, you know, the, the one that comes to mind uh, is a song called "Hurry Up," which is on uh, "Get Out of My Yard," and uh, it is. I, I'm a drummer. I can't figure that thing out. I can't figure out the time signature, where it is, any of that stuff. Do you still remember, or do you have to go back and remind yourself of how some of these really complex pieces of music are put together? Uh, I forget a fair amount of that. That one has enough of a melody that would it would piece it together. But that was a funny tune because, you know, the song's called Hurry Up and it was inspired by Rush. Yeah, and I R- totally got a Rush vibe from yeah, that, yeah. Rush means hurry up. That's my pun. <laughs> <laughs> and I missed it. But I, but I just, I always like their song Circumstances. Though. Yep. And so I just sort of, you know, came up with, took that general structure and put my own notes in. It's the same kind of it's a variation on a theme. Okay. The classical guys used to do that. Speaking of uh, of titles of songs, um, you're, you're great with coming up with them, and yeah, nice and I don't know how you come up with them. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm going to rattle off a few titles yeah, uh, from the new album, which is Behold Electric Guitar. There's I Own a Building, is one of them. Uh, Let That Battery Die, which I mentioned a little while ago. And probably my favorite title is, Sir, You Need to Calm Down. <laughs> uh, are these, do you just throw a name on something or is there, or is there a reason behind well, them? Well, they're all stories. Okay. Because you know, uh, we had, one time we had a group called the Wooten Brothers in here. Right. And they had a, they had a, a song called Sex in a Pan. <laughs> and we're like, all right, what's that all about? They were like, well... When we were writing it, we had uh, we had breakfast one morning at this place, and the dish was called Sex in a Pan. We're like, well, we'll, we'll name it that. There you go. Yeah. There you go. But but you usually have a story behind. Uh... Yeah, I don't I don't know if the stories are interesting. So, but the, <laughs> like, with, with I own a building that was um, we were doing a uh, video shoot with Mr. Big, and you know what do you do when you do a video shoot? You get a warehouse. And you set up your gear, and that you know, look cool because you're in a warehouse. So the the owner of the building was there, and he loved his building. He was he kept like stopping us and going, "You got to stop! Come up and see the attic." <laughs> you know, and, and so I, I got home, and I, and and I just I, I I couldn't I couldn't forget this guy. I was like, I've never seen somebody so in love with with his building. something he's building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love my guitar, but he loved his building. And so, <laughs> and so you know, all the, the the melodies on the record came from lyrics, and that one was like. I, a building and it feels so good to own a building <laughs> got my name on every brick and an extension of mine that's right <laughs> <laughs> yes well there is a little bit of spoken word on this with a song called a herd of turtles oh yeah the herd, the herd of turtles was, was a whole poem and that and I didn't really know what to do with it. Okay, I, I don't. I don't write poems a lot. Yeah, and uh, I, I ended up reading it as Ringo Starr. You know, <laughs> I, 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 it just seemed to flow better. I noticed that when I read it as Ringo. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> but it, that was that was one of the things. It's because it, I, I just read the poem and then and that goes into this raging funk. <laughs> It's got this cooking, you know, funk thing, and then yeah. it's just, you know, stops on a dime. Yeah. And I, I read a verse about, you know, the rabbits that are being eaten and don't want to be. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's kind of, uh, 
you know, what you, stream of consciousness, but uh, okay. But I think it, it, you know, emotionally has something there. A couple more titles, real quick. A snake just bit my toe. Mm-hmm. Did that actually happen? That didn't happen, but that was I, I was doing as you do. You have to do photos for the for the album cover. And when I do photos, I can't help myself. I always end up doing these rock faces because you, know, you bend this, when, whenever you bend the string with your thumb over the neck, you know it makes you do a rock face. Yeah. And so I was looking at photos, trying to figure out which one should go on the cover. And there was one where I was doing the typical rock face, and I thought, well, what would be the the caption that would go with this? And I thought, it looks like a snake just bit my toe. <laughs> Boom. And, and, and then I thought that's good, you know, because typically blues can be like, you know, my my. Something horrible happened, and I got the blues because of it. And I thought the snake just bit my toe. Could be that, you know. So. Okay. The snake just bit my toe. And it just fit right in. Right. Wow, it's, it, you're sort of deconstructing a lot of these. Uh, these, I know. yeah. <laughs> and then one last one, and I'm curious if this is a nod to Queen. I love my lawnmower. Well, I, I I have a really small lawn. When I grew up, I, I, had, a, I had like an acre yeah. to mow, and it was a, it was a big job. In the summertime, you get all hot, and I didn't have, I had to push mower for a long time. And so my my new lawn is like a postage stamp. And I and I went to Home Depot and I got a um, you know a battery powered lawnmower that's rechargeable. Yeah, and it's like and it's done. <laughs> and I got just, just enough where I get the smell of grass to remind yeah. me of when I was a kid. But, but I don't have to spend an hour on it. Yeah. And, and I, I just love it. It's the best lawnmower. <laughs> so it's about loving your lawnmower. Yeah. And, yeah. and so the, um, I'm trying to remember what the key is. It's like, well, I love my lawnmower because it's a great lawnmower. Loving all my accessories, too. Then I replaced it with a guitar, and, you know, it, yeah. it sounds better. Because I'm okay. a better guitar player than I'm a singer. Oh, that's great. Um, well, listen, we're, we're going to have to wrap up. Can we get just a little bit more of, of one more song? Or, um, a song, or a what, song? What song? What's the song that you really love? It's a, it's a sort of a simple one, you said? It's sort of a low-key? Or you, you, you were, well, I was telling them that uh, Let That Battery Die yeah. is, is, is well, a well, beautiful to, song. To really properly do these, I need my band. But I, should, I, sh- I should explain, sir, you need to calm down. Yeah, oh, okay, I want to know. Please do. So play, play a bit of that if yeah, you that's, Well, that one is that... I, well, first of all, I, I took the idea of Batman, you know, and I just took you know that that kind of rhythm, and then added a little my own riff to it. So. Batman, but just to let you know yeah. how the, how the story came from. And then uh, I had this melody. It was an old melody that, that nobody's ever heard because it was only big in Japan. But a song called I'm Not Afraid of the Police. And the bridge went like... I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of broken glass. Anyway, that was the melody. I moved it up to... I want you to watch my eyebrow. I know you can't see this. You can't see this if you're listening to the radio. But the beginning of it is all in a major key, so I've got a major key eyebrow. <laughs> and then the end, I decided I need a minor key eyebrow. <laughs> they go down now. You furrow yes. your brow. And that's that. That's a really good way to write because you know all if right. one eyebrow is going on too long, you, you need the you need some yeah. contrast. Yeah. And then of course you know you get there and they need a lick to fill it up. 
that's, I just sort of spill all these ideas out and glue them together, and then okay. I've got a good band, and it sounds good. Wow. Uh, well, this is it's really cool. I'm, I'm glad you had time to come in here and say yeah, hello. Me too. You guys are very nice to me, and, and I, I hope the thoughtful answers were, were thoughtful. They were, they were thoughtful. Very thoughtful. Even more thoughtful than, than Jack White, believe yeah. it or not. Don't tell him oh, that. We won't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely not. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, listen, uh, continued success. The new album is called Behold the Electric Guitar, and it's, it's phenomenal. Listen, whether you're a guitar player or not, uh, Paul Gilbert's music is is absolutely worth getting. I I love I just love your stuff. So thanks for cranking it Thank out. Thank you so much. And and lawnmower lovers of the world unite. <laughs> unite. <laughs> Paul Gilbert, everybody. Yeah. Take a break. And we will be back in just a moment. Stay with us. Ever wondered where to get the latest MMR gear? Maybe you should pay attention to these promos we work so hard on. <laughs> I said, uh, never mind. Why, it's the MMR Rock Shop, of course, at WMMR.com. It's quite the upgrade from when we were selling stuff out of the trunk of that rusted-out 75 Chevy Nova. So log on and shop to your little heart's content. Tennis shops no longer required. From 93.3 WMMR. All the merch that rocks. Reddit has a lot of... Crap. Lame discussions, but every now and then they have some that are like, okay, that's kind of an interesting conversation starter. You saw something that spoke to you? It did, and the thread was, what is something that you act like you dislike, but you secretly really like? And like some, like Rambo movies might be in there, you know? Oh, God, please, are you kidding? But actually, you kind of like it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, actually, okay. You know, we were talking a little bit uh, when you brought this up a while ago, and I was thinking about it. There's really nothing. And just as you were saying this now in Rambo, there's something that I've fully come around on that I used to profess hating and yeah. now love with a deep passion. Right. Hallmark Christmas movies. There you go. But listen, but you you don't act like you don't like them though. No, That's I used to act like you I don't. Used to, I used to act like I hated them. So you went through a little denial, maybe. And I went through I, denial, and, and now I uh, I savor them. Now you embrace it. I embrace them <clears throat> there, because there are times when you when you really when you secretly like something, but it's more embarrassed. You know, you don't want to admit it. Do you think you don't know how to? You you're being flooded with emotion or whatever. You don't know how to process it. You're conflicted. Yes. Yes. Do I love this or hate this? It might be it. <laughs> Uh, maybe I'm a little embarrassed at some of the songs that I like. And if you guys, if you're like, oh, um, you know, we like this. I'm like, oh, good. Oh, good. I do, too. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't come out and say, yeah. I love, uh, you know, Shania Twain unless you guys said it. And then I'd be, I'd be like, oh, good. It's okay to like her. You know what? I'm kind of that way, too, Kath. I'm I'm a little embarrassed at some of the things that I might secretly like. And if and if there's someone else that I hear likes it, then I'm like, yes, I, I could. I'll say it. Yeah. I and like that. You know what? For me, it's more like. Older music. It's not newer stuff. So, like, the newer like stuff... Like Beethoven? Well, no, but, like, the newer stuff, somebody's going to like it. So, someone's going to agree with me. I'm okay with that. But, like, the old school songs that, like, where you guys might be like, that is so cheesy. And in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, God, I love that song. Well, here's here's some examples that were in this thread. And we'll, we'll take your calls if you want to jump in. 215-263-WMMR. Uh, like, here's someone who wrote in and said, cheesy flirting pickup lines. It makes me roll my eyes, but deep down, I actually think it's cute. Okay. Okay. So you think most women feel that way? I, that's probably a, a split decision on that one, Yeah, Kathy. that's the thing. I, I don't think it's most people, do you think, Kath? Or no, what was the line that the guy gave you in the, uh, in, uh, Nashville? Uh, listen, that I did not like. I was not into that. Um, what did he say? Uh, 
I want you, girl. Yeah. <laughs> I want, I you, want girl. you, girl. Yeah. There's a great pickup line uh, for people from Delco. So you ask the girl, are you from Aston? And if they say no, and you say, well, because I'm giving your ass a 10. Oh, and I think that there works. you go. Yes, it's good. Ass 10. What do you do for Springfield? Uh, I'll go through. I'm giving your spring a feel. <laughs> I'll go into some other examples here. Let me get uh, Andrew. Hi, Andrew. Good morning. Hey, Gadzooks. Gadzooks, buddy. Okay, so something that you act like you dislike, but secretly you really like it. And feel free to use this as a confession here on the show. Yeah. If you've never said this stuff out loud, you can certainly Even if you're a serial killer. Yeah, go ahead, Uh, Andrew. A a few people that are close to me know this. Um, When it was originally airing, I could not stand the TV show Jersey Shore. Jersey Shore. I thought it was the dumbest S, and everybody on there was, like, (laughs) wasting their lives drinking down the shore. Right. And I think only one of them is actually from New Jersey. Right. Most of them are from Sweden. All right. So that was your issue. <laughs> and then what happened? Uh, now that they put it on Netflix and I get bored <laughs> sometimes, I'll put it on in the background as just something to pass the time. Okay. So are you into it's like... Actually, the... It's actually pretty entertaining. Are you into the new, the new, the reboot? No, no, no. I'm talking about the original. The original series, yeah. Like five or six seasons, whatever it is. Well, you know what? When it first came on, we we were obviously... Tremendously critical of it. And then. It's a terrible show. You you ended up watching it, and by osmosis, you start to get, you know, you start to hear about it. It Mm -hmm. becomes something that you watch. And I guess. And and you you sort of fell into that. Now you kind of like it. Yeah, and and sometimes you even still see some of them in the area. Like, I know Paulie D is like (laughs) a legitimate DJ. He still does shows in the area. (laughs) And then. during the NHL half-season lockout a couple of years ago, uh, Vinny was one of the, like, celebrity coaches. You're more than just a passing. Yeah, you're, you're, you're totally hooked. All right, thanks, Andrew. Appreciate <laughs> no the admission. Have a, yeah. have a good one, guys. I think sometimes, like, like that might have been with him, is is you uh, you took a stand on something. Yeah. You know, where, where other people were into it, and you were like, no, I'm, I'm not doing it. And then you all of a sudden happenstance fall into maybe like watching a TV show or whatever it may be, but you took such a staunch uh, position on it that you can't admit that you've come around. And before you know it, you're sitting there going, "Where's that strap on?" Right. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a good one, Preston. This all right. sort of encompasses it. Uh, I'm a New Jersey Devils fan. Flyers are my rivals, but I secretly love gritty. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. See, okay. Gritty is the bridge builder. Yeah, maybe. That googly-eyed bastard. Uh, here we go. Let me go to Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy, good morning. Hey, Gadzooks. Gadzooks, buddy, what's up? Nothing much. Uh, country music. Okay, so you act like you hate it, but actually uh, you love it. If you see me in public, I'm always with a frown on to change the music. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I'm tapping my foot underneath that table. You know, anything like that. But So what? stand it. Can't stand it in public, but I love it. Do you? Will you actually be with friends and and put on like a little, like a little act, like you can't stand to turn the station, and then at at, at home you put on your cowboy hat and do line dancing? Exactly. <laughs> I've got my little my little boots on. I, I, uh, my bow tie, not my bow tie. My, uh, Polo? What's that called? Oh well, yeah. Well, yeah, it's a cross between country and Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll go to a line dance here and there, but I put on disguise. Okay. You know what, Jimmy? Thanks, man. There's Appreciate also it. the opposite side of that, Preston. We yak like you hate something but actually love it. 
sometimes people drive me crazy who automatically love everything. Like, don't, you know, like it's, oh, my God. It's unbelievable. You guys hate that. I ha- well, if the, someone goes over the top. With yeah, that. yeah. I, Marilyn, who we used to work with, was was known for uh, it. Was just her her sense of drama. You like, haven't seen all dogs go to heaven. <laughs> oh my Steve, God! Life changing. Life changing. Yes, there was there were, there were phrases like life changing. Good burger. Yeah. Life changing. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a good burger. It's a great burger. Yeah, yeah. Really? I, yeah. I've learned with you guys. You I love Marilyn, but she you don't ever talk to her about a movie before you go to see it because your expectations will be so high. Yeah. yeah, you can't really, with you guys, use any superlatives when you're trying to describe something. Like I, you know, one time flippantly <laughs> said that Spaceballs was the greatest movie ever. Which was just my way of saying I love the movie. Right, right, you right. Know? right, right, right. You yeah, know, exactly. but you took what I said as literal. Yeah. Wait a second, what did you say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. It's totally. a fun movie. Yeah. Better than Good Burger? Yeah. I love that movie <laughs> yeah. as opposed to greatest movie ever made. Uh, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. 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 We right. got it. Hang on, let me go to, there's some interesting ones up here. I'm going to go to Doug. Hey, Doug. Hey, Bertrand. Hey, what? <laughs> All right, something you act like you dislike, but you secretly love. You know what? I dislike when people judge me for the music I listen to. I will listen to Share, Believe, All Day, Radio Blasting, and I am jamming out. Share, Believe? Do you believe in life after love? Do you believe in life after love? Sing it, Doug. This is my jam. Do you believe in love after love? Oh, wow. Are you proud now? Do you, do, you, do you let everyone know you love it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Now he is. All right. Well, you don't pretend like you dislike it. That's okay, that's the difference. Yeah. Because in a way, it's like coming out of the closet, you know. Was was there a time that you would hide your feelings about that, though? Oh, yeah, all throughout high school. Okay. All right. But he found these clubs where there are a lot of men who listen to it as well. <laughs> After hours. All right, Doug, thank you. I appreciate it. Was this the first one that uh, we heard that uh, auto-tuning on? It was, it was the one that was most obvious, yeah, where they yeah. did it as like a as a gimmick as yeah. opposed to kind of hiding it. They they did, because throughout the song, she isn't using it, but at that, no, point, at that point, they do it as kind of a wasn't gimmick. Wasn't it T.I. who uh, yeah. was the, the auto-tune king? You mean yeah. the winner of The Masked Singer? Yes. Oh, is that who won The Masked Singer? Oh, yeah. I, I, saw, like, I saw a promo poster out here. Is it coming back? Oh, yeah. It's a new oh, one. the oh, new God. season. It was a huge hit for them. Uh, oh, look. it's already signed for us a third season as well. Really? Yeah. This one sounds weird. I'm going to go to Kayla. Hi, Kayla. Good morning. Hi. Good morning, Gadzooks. Gadzooks. What's up, Kayla? Um, so, <laughs> this is like a family thing that we're all pretty ashamed of. Okay. That we really love Korean soap operas. <laughs> I did not even know that Korean soap operas existed <laughs> here in the U.S. that you could watch them. Yes, yeah, so it started off on this channel that um, my in-laws had. They didn't have, like, full cable, so they got this channel where they could watch soap operas. And they shared their like for, me, for it with me, and I started watching them. And now they are all over Netflix, and I am addicted, but so embarrassed. Are you, in fact, Korean? I am not at okay. all. <laughs> okay, so I'm sort of hearing that I have a similar thing because I've never liked boy bands or anything like that and then lo and behold i see this dumb bts video mm-hmm. on snl and now i'm into k-pop korean 
pop music. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah. you came out and admitted it right I away. did. It took a lot. It yeah. took a lot of encouragement from friends. Yeah, yeah. And I, But I went to this club where there was a bunch of guys, Preston, that yeah. listened to the same music. So, Caleb... <laughs> <laughs> So you kind of hey guys, you listen too. You, will you embarrassingly admit this from time to time, or you just kind of keep it to yourself? Um. Well, my husband doesn't understand it at all, mm-hmm. and like will judge me from across the room. But if somebody asks me, like, "Oh, what do you watch on TV?" I, I like try to pick the more popular things. Okay. Yeah, Kayla. Too much effort to explain, like, why do you watch something that you have to read the subtitles? My wife hates the uh, Hallmark Christmas movies, and I love them. So I, I feel your pain. Thank you, Kayla. Yeah. I appreciate it. My kids were watching some overdubbed uh, kids soap opera thing uh, my daughter does for a while. I think it might be out of Argentina. Okay. Uh, but it's like, um, it's almost like um, not quite Saved by the Bell sitcom but that age, okay. you know, that high school age. And it's all overdubbed and they have songs and stuff. And, and they're watching it. They love it. All yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, let me go to, yeah, let's go to, uh, Crystal. Hi, Crystal. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. So we're talking about something you act like you dislike, but you secretly really like. Yes. So for years I've been telling people I would never watch a Star Wars movie. They're corny. I would never like it. But I've seen bits and pieces and I think if I watched it, I'd really like it. But Mm -hmm. I can't go back now because I've been saying it for years. You're too far in. Wow. And you feel that uh, you would lose all cred were you to suddenly redo a, pull a full 180. But you know you're, there are many friends who would take who would accept your, your shift. And uh, do you think you might give it a try at all? But you're absolutely resolute. You can't go there now. I've been talking so much crap on those movies <laughs> for years. I can't go back. Oh, you, you, so you would, you would pay the price for doing it? Yeah. All maybe right. maybe Crystal if you do this if if you, you with, with your friends that have have told you forever that this is a great series maybe you make a deal with them and say all right let's all get together and watch it you just can't bust my balls if I like it okay uh-huh. because otherwise they're going to be like told ya, you yeah, know yeah 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 or Crystal here's another thing it's a little bit of a deflection burn down a hospital oh, no no then tell them you like Star Wars <laughs> <laughs> so they're going to be like what Mm. Right? It They're all great it. ideas. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. You know, it's uh-huh. kind of how I feel like my wife is about Marvel movies. She is so dug in on her uh, opinion of it all. Because, like, and why do I think she would like it if she gave it a try? You know why, Steve? Because it's brilliant filmmaking. Yeah, over over a long period of time, and it's wonderful storytelling. E- even the most reticent person, I, you know. It is. You can extract a lot of what makes it the superhero stuff, and it, there's just good drama and good mm-hmm. ensemble stories. But um, my wife, uh, I, I had to chip away at her, and, and now she's she's into it, and she's, she wants to watch Endgame with me. So I, I consider that a score. Yeah. I'm going to go to Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. What's up, bud? Uh, I, I actually didn't really like this until you brought the subject up. Mm-hmm. I I secretly like the Kardashians. I, I don't even want to admit it. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, I, I would never tell anybody, you know, to, to I would stay away from drugs just on the off chance that you like them. I, I won't watch the Kardashians just on the off yeah, chance. Yeah, that you might like it. Because I hate them so much. <laughs> and then you find yourself in an alleyway giving a handy to some guys because he, he has a set that's playing the Kardashians. Uh-huh. Exactly. Uh-huh. Well, my girlfriend watches all the time and she'll I'll fall asleep and I still have the TV on and she puts the Kardashians on. I wake up and say, "Shut those effing <laughs> oh, I don't want bitches." Mm-hmm. But yeah, those effing bitches off and go back to sleep. And 
But you know, when she got home, I'll put, I'll, if it's on, it'll be, I'll watch it. You're, 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 you're right in what yeah. we're talking about. Because, uh, but I understand what you're saying. You you want to fight it. Like, for example, I don't want to go anywhere near any of these Real Housewives shows because, for fear. Oh, she watches that, too. She watches I'm, those, too. Yeah. All right. I feel your pain. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. Thanks, All right. Hey, does, uh, does Chuck like the Bachelor shows, or does he just watch them to watch them with his daughter and his wife? I think, I he, think likes he likes them, them now. Yeah, okay. Uh, and that's, that'd be another one where we can't, again... Um, I, I, I've tried to see what people are seeing, and I, I can't. I, I loathe them, and, yeah. and we'll stumble across them from time to time, and I get angry that I'm even watching it at all. Uh-huh. But then I feel like, well, maybe it's something I can talk about on the show a little bit and maybe yeah. educate myself on it. And then I'm like, I probably have to quit because this is just terrible. Uh, I I like Dancing with the Stars. You did in the first few seasons. I did, and, and but my reasoning was because the, the professional dancers are so yeah. damn hot. And you liked the costumes. Oh you thought good. they were oh hot. Oh, my God, yes. Well, they're, they're non-existent. Yeah. Yeah, so I could see that. That's a yeah, little listen, embarrassing to Did admit. you really like Hee Haw years ago? No. No. What did you watch it for? The, the Hee Haw Honeys. Yeah. Uh, let me see here. There's another good one coming up here. I'm going to go to uh, Chris K. Hi, Chris. You're on the air. Good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, good. Uh, I, so, what's up, man? What did you want to admit? Uh, you secretly, you act like you dislike, but you secretly like. Well, I- I did it for Game of Thrones for all eight seasons. I'm like, I'm not watching it. I'm not giving it a shot because I was kind of like, you know, I was always into fantasy and all that. So I like, I saw the first like episode or two and I'm like, eh, it's just not drawing me in. Uh, and then I heard that, you know, if you watch through season one, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll draw you in and you'll be sucked. Yeah. And then, uh, well, season eight premiered, finally started watching through episode all season one, and yeah, watched all eight seasons within like two months. But the entire time, were you denying that you liked it? Um, for well, no, like I said, I denied that I even wanted to give it a shot for eight years. I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. So when you're actually watching it, did you finally have to admit to people that you were telling you you had no desire that you had turned around and now you were yeah, a fan? I'm like, yep, I love Game of Thrones. Even went out and bought a shirt. You know, get all the a lot of it, and, uh, it has to do with eating crow, though. It has to do with you, yeah. fu- you sucking Thanks, it up and just saying, all right, you were right. All right, how about this? This looks, oh, where did it go? Oh, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This sounds interesting. I will go to, <laughs> I'll go to Scott. Hey, Scott. Hey, sorry about you guys at work. It's all good, buddy. All right, so something that you act like you dislike, but you really secretly like. With Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> Little House on yes. the Prairie. Wow. Yes. Laurie Ingalls. And, yes. and your reason that you were embarrassed to admit that? I had long hair growing up, hung with all the headbangers and the jocks <laughs> and playing sports. And God forbid if they ever found out that we'd be out playing football on a Sunday and I'd have to come up with some excuse so I could get in on time <laughs> to watch it by 7 o'clock. Yes. And nobody would know. That oh, you were watching awesome. Little House on yeah. the Prairie. Yeah, and the weird thing is, if I'm flipping through the channels today and I see, like, a rerun of it, I'll actually stop and still watch it. Yep. Did you watch it all the way to the series finale when they blew up the town? Yes, I did. Okay. Yes, I did. Wow. All right, Scott. You were hardcore. You got a little teary-eyed on that, too. That's, that's a good that's, admission. That could really be, like, a, a deep, dark secret, you know, that you're holding. Totally. Especially if your image is you're a, you're a headbanger. Yeah. And you're, you're rushing home to watch Little House on the Prairie. Absolutely. Uh, we'll go to our buddy uh, Craig Legon. Hey, Craig, good morning, sir. 
What up, white folks? Hey, man. Um, I know a lot of white people, so um, I began to hate the electric slide. Okay. Because um, I've been to at least 384 weddings in the last four years. and uh, But I, I thought I secretly liked it because uh, I hated it when it was done. But when I saw it being done wrong, I was like, no, stop it. Do it like this. Um, but I, everyone knew, always knew I hated it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then our local uh, sports team, I believe the Philadelphia Eagles, mm-hmm. uh, started doing it during their Super Bowl run. And then I really started, you know, liking it, liking it. And then I went to another wedding, my 385th. And the whole time I was like, no one's doing the electric slide? Really? <laughs> no one? I'm kind of disappointed. So. so so you're now into it. I think the thing with those kind of dances, especially at a wedding, too, if you're single, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you you get up and you're, 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 you know, it's a good way yeah, to meet. I love yeah, the yeah, electric slide. Never, it's a way to get onto the dance floor because, <clears throat> I, you know, when you're just sort of freestyle dancing, you kind of feel a little dorky. And like, am I, are my arms doing the right thing? Are my legs doing the right thing? And, you know, even if I have it's rhythm. It's regimented. I, yeah. So the el- yeah. the electric slide, I really do like I can't stand the ma- Macarena. I can't stand it. Uh, and that's yeah. not, yeah. you know, I don't even... You don't, see, you don't even secretly like it. Nope. It's not manly yeah. enough. Craig, your call on the uh, on uh, the Macarena? Uh, that's a whole different... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's for different. another... That's another time. All right, yeah, thanks. What about the chicken dance? Enough, yes. Well, I love the chicken dance, but that's for kids. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> there are a lot of people that are texting in that they secretly like the Preston and Steve show, but uh, their friends <gasps> give them some guff. Well, that's the whole that's the whole impetus for our black listeners. Yeah. That people would sheepishly call in and go, by the way, I'm black. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Wait a minute. So people are texting in that their friends don't like our show? Or that they pretend that they don't like the show, but everybody... So it's this thing that people all secretly really <laughs> yeah, like? Yeah, I can totally know, see that. If they're texting in in the first place... But why would probably... you be embarrassed of us? Oh, Screw we're, you. We're, we're, no, no, no. We should help them out by giving fake call letters now and then. Yeah. <laughs> Kathy, because maybe You're it's listening a few, to NPR. Maybe it's a few upstanding citizens in society. Right, right. Or people and with taste. They, yeah. And they don't... People with stature. People with stature and taste. They don't want to. Who can discern quality for making that call. I understand. We should have a secret, like a word or something like that, for the people who are embarrassed to admit they listen to the show that they can tell to other people. Kaflavin? Kaflavin. I'd like to know. I would like to know why, though. Is it because because they're, like, upstanding citizens? They have, like, I don't know, a certain... I I have a reason, and it's because radio is, quote-unquote, not cool. You know, it's like it's not the newest, hippest podcast or, or something. Mm. It's been around for a while. It's established. And right. anything that's around it, it's like saying, um, you know, that Jim Gardner is cool. Of course he is. But people aren't allowed to admit that he's cool because he's been around for so long. You know what I get sometimes are people who are like, who are maybe embarrassed to admit to me that they listen. Like, well, I, I really don't listen to your show. But, but then we'll rattle off 19 things I said that, that day. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, why did you just say that? Yeah. Well, I I don't know. It's but it's 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 a weird it's a weird dynamic. But I think we could have the equivalent of like uh, AA Preston, where people come in and (laughs) you know donuts, and they can all be chain smoking and uh, they can write letters. uh, Hi, I'm Bill. I'm a a listener. I listen to Preston. (laughs) It's okay. Yeah, yeah. You can admit it. Hi, Bill. Then you have to you have to do you know go to the people that you've uh, other shows that you listen to and apologize. (laughs) Yeah, You're you're in a safe space here. Yeah. You know, uh, let me go to uh, our friend Brian, Brian Cunningham. Opie Cunningham. <laughs> hey, Brian, how you doing? Good, Durga Durga. Durga, Durga buddy. Durga. All right, so you used to work with our, our uh, buddy, uh, Senator Chris Coons. Uh, I do know that. Now, you wanted to admit something that you've been embarrassed to admit or that you act like you dislike? 
I uh, have hated on this particular musical artist for uh, 10 years and uh, have secretly uh, enjoyed her music, and that is Taylor Swift. You Taylor hate Swift. I heard him say it. Wow, mm. you bite your tongue. She is wonderful. What's your favorite I song? Love my, I, probably 15. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. You know, I didn't really care for her until 1989 album came out. I love her. Um, yeah. Didn't she wear shorts? <laughs> Very catchy, um, but uh, yeah, I, I bought my wife uh, tickets for the show two years ago, and I was ter- having terrible FOMO that her and her All right, so, oh, really? <laughs> Let me ask you then, what's, what's, her favorite, what's her favorite pet? See how much you know oh, about her. Two cats. There you go. Cats, well, he's right? in. He's in. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know that wow. much. That's, a, that's the extent of her. <laughs> Taylor Swift and the cats. Yeah. yeah. Get that down. <laughs> All right, Brian. That's a good admission. Thank you, brother. We appreciate it. Actually, Welcome. there's a there's a couple. Bye. 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 <laughs> Uh, there are a uh, a few people that were saying Taylor Swift. Here's a guy. Chris said he is. We have to wrap things up. Admit that he, he's scared to admit that he likes Nickelback. Uh, here's Melissa is a Dallas fan. Secretly likes the Eagles. Whoa. Uh, we uh, support that. Steve's been on hold for a long time. He secretly liked Cats, the musical. <laughs> uh, West uh, secretly loves living in New Jersey, even though he tells everybody he hates it. <laughs> That's funny. Why do you feel compelled to tell people you hate it? That's perfect. And Scott was ashamed for people to know that he liked the big, comfy couch TV show, the kids' oh, show. Yeah. You remember that? That they, chick was annoying, though, a little bit. They used to shoot that down at uh, Center City Film and Video. I used to see the set when oh, they were really? going there to do voiceovers. Yeah, huh. exactly. Well, interesting. Take stock in all this and uh, see if maybe something that uh, that you're afraid to admit is something you can go ahead and open up about. You might feel better. It might be liberating. Or the, the, you might get your ass kicked. Yeah, they might be. Yeah. Body Especially our fans. We'll come back in a moment. Make sure you stay with us. Get social with Preston and Steve and WMMR. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok, and probably other places. The most hated jeweler in America makes it so easy to get engaged. Meet the beautiful, classy, and brilliant Krista. She's Stephen's most loved engagement ring and will dazzle. She takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, high-quality, round, brilliant diamond in a classic solitaire setting. Meet Krista today, starting at under $700. Online at IHateStevenSinger.com or at the other corner of 8th and Walnut by appointment only. Free shipping and interest-free financing. It's so easy. Steven Singer Jewelers. That's I hate stevensinger.com. Now, back with more of the Preston and Steve Show podcast. Next guest is no stranger to WMMR as uh, we've been uh, proud supporters of Rush since day number one or right. way back when. And, uh, and you know what? If you write a, you, you've got to be qualified to write a book called The Big Beautiful Book of Bass. And I'd say that this might be alone just a pretty good qualification to write a book like that. And I'll let it speak for itself. Well, that's just a little tidbit. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the one and only Mr. Getty Lee. Yeah. Good morning, Getty. Good morning. How are you guys? We're wonderful, man. Thanks for coming on this morning. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, the Big Beautiful Book of Bass, you've been touring all over the country, and this has been how long in the making? When did you, when did you start this project, Getty? Well, I guess um, I got the idea for doing it about uh, almost three years ago now, and then uh, I wasn't really sure if we'd be able to pull it off in the way that I, I thought it needed to be pulled off, you mm-hmm. know, the quality involved. But we, I put a team together of 
some really fantastic people. Richard Sybil, who's an amazing photographer, uh, my longtime friend and journalist, Daniel Richler, who helped me pound out the words, and uh, my longtime tech, John Scully McIntosh. And uh, after spending about eight months shooting instruments in my home in the art studio that my wife very kindly donated to me, <laughs> <laughs> she thought it was going to be for a month, but eight months later and 30,000 photographs later, uh, we finally moved out. <laughs> I love the genesis of this story and, and, and doing some research about the book and, and your idea to proceed with it. Um, you, you say you're sort of prone to being a collector of things. You're, you have eclectic sensibilities. Uh, but you, this this instrument, this tool that you've used to make your living for so many, you know, for decades now... You didn't know a lot about. And then, I think it was, what, 2012, uh, there's a deal for you to get, uh, I think it's a 1953 Fender bass, uh, an electric bass. And and you're like, do I, do I want this? Do I not want this? And was that sort of the flashpoint at which you started to say, I, th- I think I want to pursue collecting these and get a better knowledge of this thing that I've been holding in my hands for so many years? Well, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I am a collector by nature. I have the collector mentality, or the disease, as we refer to it. <laughs> I know it well. And and these things, you know, uh, you know, wreak havoc on my life. But at the same time, they become windows into the past for me. They become, uh, you know ways of me learning about the world you know when i became a a baseball fan uh it was when i was traveling around america you know doing all these dates playing you know you know 300 shows a year uh and with my afternoons free i would watch baseball games from wgn or or you know the super stations at the time on cable that was you know before the net so uh i became a manic baseball fan and and i started collecting baseball ephemera and that really was an education in the history of of america in the last 200 years so um when it came to as you say holding uh, an electric bass in my hand and i got the offer for this 1953 fender precision bass which is also from the year of my birth uh now you know how old i am uh, <laughs> And so uh, I, I realized that I didn't know anything about the invention of this thing and what was the atmosphere like. Who were the people that were tinkering and trying to bring the modern age into the stand-up double bass players of the world? And so I started researching it, and I started having so much fun. I decided, well, I'll ha- start put together a modest collection of basses that represent some of the great heroes of mine, you know, like an EB3 that Jack Bruce played or a a Hofner violin bass that Paul McCartney used to use, a 4001S Rickenbacker that Chris Squire used, etc., etc. Well, that modest uh, wish list of about a dozen basses quickly turned into over 250. (laughs) And I was like, what the hell am I going to do with these now? I I have to justify it in some way. I have to create some sort of, uh, you know, reason, you know, raison d'etre. So uh, I also, during during my uh, investigations into the history and the past of this instrument, realized that there was no one compendium out there. There was no one book where you could find the answers to these questions about the various models and the various kinds of bases. So I thought, okay, there's a whole in the world of 
big, beautiful books, and there's room for the big, beautiful books. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and, and I love that you took the care for the for the proper photographs, because I've seen pictures of iconic instruments, and I'll use guitars in particular, like Lucille from B.B. King, or maybe Willie Nelson's guitar, or Big Red from uh, Brian May. Um, of the bass guitars, you mentioned Paul's Hofner bass. Do you think that worldwide... That's probably the most legendary, you know, single owner bass guitar that's existed that people just recognize. Well, yeah, he, he certainly uh, that violin bass is synonymous with Paul. It's synonymous with the Beatles, and the Beatles were the most impactful band really ever. So, yeah, I would say that's one of the most identifiable basses out there. I loved your black and white Rickenbacker. I thought that was the coolest looking bass guitar. Now, you've been through a few in your time, and I know that your your Fender Jazz is your is your number one, as you've said before. But that was a pretty awesome bass. Do you have a, a, a connection to that and still have that, I assume? Oh, yeah. No, I still have that bass. And, and, you know, a lot of people still connect me very strongly with my Rickenbacker period. And, of course, uh, the double necks, too. Right. Alex and I, there's an iconic photo of the two of us, you know, both, you know, strapped behind these monster instruments. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I have all those. And there's a part of the book that I, I you know, called my favorite headaches, where I, I go into great detail to show the instruments that really I, I made my living holding uh, that were part of the Rush history. And, and I, you know, I, I sort of treat those in the same way I treat the other vintage instruments. Every now and then you'll hear about a, a musician, particularly the guitarist, who, who let one get away from them in, in, their, in their tours, whatever it may be, or they sold at an earlier time. Uh, did you ever have a bass get away from you that you wish you could get your hands back on, or have you managed to hang on to the ones that you really love? Well, I've, I've hung on to most of them. I still wish I had my very first one, which was a $35 Kenora Japanese-made <laughs> bass uh, that Alex and I painted. Uh, you know, we tried to imitate the bass the bass and guitar that Eric Clapton and Jack Bruce had that were painted by these guys that were known as the Fool yeah. uh, back in the psychedelic era. And so we did our own, you know, 14-year-old version of it, which was a little less than, you know, accomplished. Uh, but I still wish I had that one. And uh, in, a, in a fit of generosity, I donated my number one uh, double neck to the Canadian National Archives in Ottawa. So... Uh, I thought I was doing a good deed for my country, but I kind of missed that one. But uh, they loaned it back to me so I could shoot it for this book. Which okay. That's cool. <laughs> Speaking about, you know, the, the, the nature of the collector and, and in a way what it does, I, I love the thrill of the chase. I love that it, in, in, in essence you become sort of an Indiana Jones. You, you're using, you become, your archaeology chops pop out and you start to go through these things and do the research. And uh, learning about just, you know, keying off your fascination with this and what you were laying in a number of the interviews that I was reading, um, the whole genesis of the bass becoming the electric and precision bass, which I didn't realize pertains to the the actual frets on the bass, allowing the basses to be more accurate with their playing. Um, you, you, and you sort of described the, the um, prior to that, that the double bass or the, the larger bass unit that we're, we're familiar with prior to that was sort of the, um, it, it kind of made those musicians have to lug that around, the Quasimodos uh, <laughs> of the music world because they had this huge thing. And it really was a pivotal, pivotal point in music when these things came into being, correct? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, one thing that was really fascinating to me was seeing the old ads that Fender used to put out. Like, there's an ad where they have an old case for a double bass, right, which is this giant thing. And they just put a, a precision bass sitting inside it, which looks tiny. Yeah. And you realize, and you start doing your research and seeing pictures of these bass players that were schlepping these things around the country and of course they didn't fit in any of the vehicles so they were often just tied to the roof of the van or the bus or whatever mode of transportation they had at the time so they were really relegated to second citizens in, in terms of being a band yep. so I, I often put myself in that frame of mind and imagine that I'm a double bass player and I'm playing these clubs and all of a sudden I hear about this precision bass and you can plug it into an amp which means you can actually control the volume and it, it sits on your shoulder and you play it like a guitar it must have been such a strange moment for yeah. these guys yeah yeah and not all of them took to it of course a lot of them just poo-pooed it but some of them immediately took to it and, and it changed really the course of popular music and and that's the, the benefit of of my my crazy indulgence was that I learned a sort of a secondary history of popular music through the eyes of, of the bass manufacturers and the people that played these basses from the late 40s right up through the 70s. Uh, Getty, I saw there was a study a couple of years that was done a couple of years ago about uh, it was a scientific study about what instruments are most important in a live setting. And it came down hands back that the bass is the most important instrument because it fills the room, it's got so much presence, and without it, there's no real body. That doesn't mean that music without it is not any good, but if you really want to connect with an audience, you've got to have a bass. And you played for 40 years on the, on the road with Rush, and I have to ask, when you would hit those really big low-end notes, say those first few notes of Xanadu when you go into that, you feel some kind of power. I mean, I know you did it for a long time, but, you know, it's almost, you know, you're shaking the room, you know? Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, that's a brilliant study. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> you you, you totally validated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, there's no question that the uh, the combination of a big, low, you know, open E note uh, resonating through, uh, you know, a 20,000 seat venue combined with a, a power chord. That is one of the greatest mm -hmm. feelings that a rock and roller can create. You know, it, it's just, a, it's a beautiful thing. And you do sort of bathe in that moment when you do it. That's but, cool. But, you know, usually you're too busy thinking of the next <laughs> note to, to, yeah. to spend too long with it. But yeah, it, it's it's a luscious uh, indulgence. For nice. You. I was reading about uh, the Gibson Thunderbird. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but initially you had said that this was not a, a bass where you had initially liked the sound of it. And and then um, later on, upon exploration and, and finding out more about it and obviously pr proceeding along with the book, you now love this uh, bass. And you, and you started to bring, in, in essence, it started this thing that has you, you know, for the, for the last tours of Rush, bringing along a whole you know, a ton of basses so that you could get eclectic sounds. Um, what, what is what is the holy grail bass that is not in the Getty Lee collection that you are still looking for? Mm. Oh, okay, that's a, that's a tough question to answer, but um, uh, there are a few basses I'm still looking for, and mostly they are sort of esoteric desires, you know, like there's certain colors of uh, of a you know, pre-CBS Fender basses that I haven't been able to find. There's a, a, a 
particularly, uh, you know, iconic bass from 1968. Fender made these two, uh, they were sort of precision bass reissues. They were, that's when they brought back the Telecaster bass, which, which was sort of the first design of, of the precision bass. And they, because of, it was 68 and it was the summer of love and it was psychedelia, you know, yeah. one of them, one of them was covered in literally, uh, paisley, pink paisley wallpaper and the other was covered in blue floral wallpaper. <laughs> For some reason, the pink paisleys are much easier to find than the blue floral. So I'm still looking for a blue floral 1968 uh, Fender uh, Telecaster bass. Hey, uh, Getty, in, uh, in 2004, uh, Canadians elected you or nominated you as the 96th greatest Canadian of all time. And <laughs> I, I'm wondering if you know who number 95 is. I have no idea. Okay, it's, it's Lord Stanley. Lord so Stanley. You, you yeah. Lord Stanley Cup. You rank right behind Lord Stanley who created the Stanley Cup. So I just okay. want to congratulate you on that. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> That's quite an honor. Yeah. You, guys, you guys are full of interest. <laughs> hey, Ged, I wanted to ask, have you, uh, have you been getting the itch to write or play live uh, in any way? Um, well, you know, I've always liked to play, and uh, uh, this book has been a wonderful distraction for me and a, and a fantastic, edifying journey in a sense. You know, every time you learn about something new or, or some different process, which writing writing a book is is a whole new venture for me. Uh, it expands your mind. It expands the way you think. And so it's a good thing for you. But uh, whenever I'm home, of course, I always have a, a base in my hand. And, and eventually I will uh, probably try to seek some sort of gainful employment with that. Okay. I wanted to ask you because this you, this is your you know your, your first swipe at uh, writing a, a book of, of this nature. And it involved a lot of interviews. And you're usually the interviewee, not the interviewer. And mm -hmm. I believe your first interview for the book was Bill Wyman, which yeah. is, seems fairly formidable. Um, what what did you bring into that, and what was your mindset approaching a you know obviously a legend like Bill Wyman? Uh, any special techniques, and was he immediately a good subject? <laughs> well, Bill. Um uh, if you if you read the interview in the book, you'll see the the kind of character that Bill is. He is a fantastically funny and wry sense of humor. Right, he's a very funny man, but he's also an incredibly fascinating and deeply talented person in in many different ways. He's written nine books. He's an amateur archaeologist. He invented his own metal detector because, as he would tell you himself, I have very small hands. He was lovely to talk to, but he was a little bit daunting because he wants to talk about anything other than bases. So it was my very first interview, so the first time that I was on the other side of the table, so to speak, and we were in a restaurant in Chelsea in London, uh, and, uh, you know, I had to keep trying to bring him back to the bass guitar when he wanted to talk about how, he, you know, he loved you know, cricket. And he had thrown a, a hat trick at the Oval. I'm the only musician ever to do that. <laughs> well, you sort of feel like a border collie at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, you know, he was great fun, and it was really enjoyable. But I didn't know whether, when I left there, whether I had the material that I needed. But of course, I had that and and way more. Wow. I, as a baseball fan, I'm sure you've heard of the term the yips. Um, and have you ever? Is there a such thing as the yips as a musician? And I'm asking you specifically because of the type of music you guys played. It's it's so fast and progressive that intricate and intricate, really. 
Uh, have you ever um, experienced anything like that? Well, only in terms of remembering lyrics. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you're playing a three-hour show, and, and some of those lyrics are rather complex. Yes. If you've uh, ever read any of the lyric sheets that come with our records. <laughs> yes. So there, are, there have been times where I walk up to the mic and I open my mouth and nothing comes out. <laughs> and I, I remember it. one time I was playing a concert in Leeds in England and uh, it was closer to the heart and it's just guitar and my voice and I open my mouth and uh, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> and that's and one of the so, most iconic beginnings. Yeah. yeah, and the crowd very kindly started reminding me of what the lyrics were. <laughs> and so I got back into the game, so. They'll help you out when you need them like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, of baseball, two two more book ideas, Getty, since uh, you are now an author. Uh, big, beautiful book of baseball. Yeah. yeah. Or, being a wine aficionado, the big, beautiful book of booze. Yeah, or Burgundy. Yeah. Burgundy oh, is, is a more uh, yeah, yeah, it's no, a classier way to good, I, good, good ideas. But yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there are books on baseball, and yeah, by true, more uh, true. by more uh, respected writers than myself, and there are lots of books on wine. But the bass guitar, I felt, uh, was the right thing for me to to go out. And, and create a book for because I actually feel like I've, you know, I've held that instrument in my hand for yeah. over 45 years. So. Hey, I wanted to mention, I've watched uh, Beyond the Lighted Stage probably a dozen times. Great documentary about the band. I wow. just want to tell you, your mother is adorable. <laughs> <laughs> she is, she's the sweetest thing. She can tell, you can tell she raised a good boy and did it mainly on her own. And that's yeah. a wonderful thing. Now, didn't she and Dave Grohl's mom uh, start to have a relationship together? Because I know yeah. she wrote a book about rock no. moms. No, absolutely. They're, they're pals. And, uh, you know, my family and the Grohl family have gotten quite close over the years. And, and largely due to Ginny Grohl, because she wrote that book about rock moms. And she came up here to, to meet my mom and interview her. And they just got on like a house on fire. And and they're still, they still communicate. And, and uh, you know, they were just up here recently doing a, a, a talk. Ginny was doing a talk on her book with Dave. And so they were all over at the house. So, um, yeah, it's a lovely thing that, that they, these two uh, found each other. And, you know, my mom's older, of course, than, than Ginny. But she's really a very sweet lady. And, and the way Dave treats my mom is, is just, I mean, he is really one of the good guys, I got to tell you. That's very cool. I, I have to assume at this point, and we know that, you know, Dave is a, is a huge fan. There's, you have so many fans. And, and the, the term fanboy is very applicable because, you know, that... Uh, I, I'm sure you have encountered or the you have a, a certain radar when it comes to people approaching you and who might lapse into absolute uh, adoration. Um, you know, do you um, does it does it get old? Are you always flattered by it? How you know, because there's a, there's a certain level of fandom that I think surrounds you and your band in particular that sort of transcends a lot of other bands. Uh, how do you handle that? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. Um, when I started to plan the promotion of this book, of course, the idea of book signings came up, which is sort of a traditional thing that, that authors do. And there were so many ideas. There were so many complicated ways of handling it. People were trying to protect me in certain ways. And, and in the end, it all got very tiresome. I said, look, let's just do a few of these things and see how they go. Right. And uh, I started 
planning a few of them and and showing up not knowing what to expect and you know i found lineups of rush fans and and i have found honestly the the whole experience so lovely and meeting these folks they're so appreciative of the two minutes they get with me just to speak their mind and and to share some of their rush history with me and it's just been it's been wonderful. Oh, that's great. There have been very few people that I've met in the course of all the signings I've done that have been, you know, a bit uncomfortable. But, <laughs> you know, uh, for the large part of it, it's a very meaningful moment for them, and it turns into a very meaningful moment for me. So I've really enjoyed it. Also, Getty, I want to remind people that Cin- uh, Cinema Strangiato is uh, coming out. It's a uh, There's one night screening that's happening at, at different... Uh, movie theaters around the country and this is a new documentary or is it mainly just cover uh the the r40 that final tour yeah what it is 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 basically uh kind of a a way of celebrating the r40 tour in a sense on the big screen Hmm. uh it's taken a lot of of stuff that fans might have seen on that uh video the concert footage but it's added a, a few twists do it there's there's some sound check footage there's some uh pieces that people haven't seen and haven't been released and there are interviews with various musicians blah blah blahing about us and <laughs> so uh you know i think the intent of of the record company in that regard was to just to create something that you can't have at home yeah. you know going into a venue with a, a ton of other like-minded rush fans and you know celebrating the the final tour as it were um i haven't uh, had a chance to, to read the the book and i can't wait to but i do have a question there doesn't happen to be a section with Paul Rudd called slapping the ass. <laughs> no, but you have no idea how many times I've had to write that phrase. I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I love that he has kind of become a part of, of your family uh, yeah, no, in he, that way because he's such a great guy. He so. is a super, super guy. Awesome. Getty, we're huge fans. Congratulations on the success of this book and, and uh, hope you enjoy your time here in Philadelphia. Thank you much, guys. I really appreciate talking to you. No problem. Getty Lee, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Wow. That couldn't have been any better. Wow, wow, What a nice guy. Oh, my God. Let me ask you, when when you Uh, talk to a hero like that, and mm -hmm. they're as nice as he is, Uh, and as Canadian as he is, mm -hmm. does it change your perception uh, of of having him up on a pedestal at all? I think we could be best friends. That's what I'm asking. Uh, I really, no. Um, (laughs) It humanizes them. It really does. And I think, for me, if I may jump in here, Preston, it, it raises them up even more yeah. you know yeah i agree uh, a, a, a nice pleasant conversationalist uh you know and whereas in the converse situation someone that you hold up who is taciturn and, and cold it, it destroys it here it just embellishes yeah. I, di- I didn't fanboy on him i was i was thinking about it and uh and i have met him a couple of times and he's been very very pleasant and actually sat in on an interview with pierre when pierre had with him he was nice enough to invite me in on the interview you ever see the terminator <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was thinking about what that what what i get from the band's music and and i just you know i, I would like to relay that to Getty, but he's heard it before and I'm yeah. just a guy to him and, and it'd be no big deal, but I was just thinking about all the enjoyment over the years that I've gotten out of their music, and Casey, the same thing could be say uh, said for Fish for you, 
Steve, for, for, for Steely Dan or, or for Genesis or the yeah. bands that you really, really love, Nick, Pearl Jam and BTS. all that. BTS. Is it BTS? Yeah. yeah. No, man, I, I've just gotten, I've gotten enjoyment, I've gotten emotion, I've gotten uh, musical intrigue from how precise and amazing and creative they are. I've gotten great advice, but more than anything, out, out of Russia's music, I've gotten great stories because the way Neil would write lyrically, I'm, I'm blown away. I can either sit there and I can either focus on Neil's incredible drumming, or I can focus on Getty's amazing musicianship overall, or Alex's incredible and in, in, inventive, uh, creative ways on the guitar, or the message or the story or whatever it is, and I can focus on one of those at a time. And, and there are a lot of great stories that have been written in that music over the years. And, and, and the same can be said for your favorite band. My favorite band are the Beatles, and obviously I get all that from them as well, you know? Well, and it's just great. It's, it's just, Music is so awesome. You love it. When you want to fanboy out, because Time Stand Still is, is in the pantheon of, of great, great songs that mean the world to me. Whenever you, to me, every time I hear that song, it's a re... Um, a correction of how how to approach life and and to to savor each moment. Yes, and that is actually on a technical level, it's probably one of the more simple songs that they do. And it, there's there's, it, but it is it it speaks volumes to me. I know you feel the same way about it. Yeah. It's just a great song that gets you at a gut level. And but again. He's heard it yeah. countless times. Sure. You know. yep. I enjoyed listening to that interview, guys. I thought it was a, I thought it was a really good interview. <laughs> Sorry, I kind of no, no, no. This, took over, but this was for you. Oh. Uh, and Marissa was able to isolate. I think she thinks uh, a pretty special part of the interview. Okay, listen. Here we go. Hang That's on. a brilliant study. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> there he goes. I brought up something that he really appreciated. <laughs> kind of punch myself on the arm. Yeah. Way to go, Way buddy. To go, bud. Nice job. Man, that was really cool. All right, so we're going to go ahead and take a break. Be back in a second. Stay with us. Activate. The Preston Steve Show Podcast. 93.3 WMMR. Everything that rocks. Now, Bizarre. WMMR presents Bizarre. Preston and Steve's Bizarre. Bizarre File. Our first B-File of the week. Week one of Vacation. Preston and Steve. Bears trying on clothes, really? The Louisiana State Police on Monday revealed an extraordinary security breach. It happened to the governor's man, saying they arrested a man last week who trespassed into the building, damaged property, and then he fell asleep on the couch. He almost had it. And that's I where... I am so sleepy. That's where they found him in the governor's mansion crashing on the couch. Don't you think the tension of what he was doing would keep him up and on edge a little bit? Probably. Especially in, he's in a fairly high-profile location. Yeah. Uh, or maybe you're just so cash, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Raynard Green was booked on counts including simple burglary, criminal trespassing, criminal damage to property. Green was found asleep on a couch and had broken an antique wooden table. Mm, this just looks very comfortable. Officials found suspected narcotics on Green after patting him down. All right, maybe, oh, narcotics. Maybe he got high. Now it makes sense. Uh, Green was found asleep before 6 a.m. The records say that he was placed in leg shackles before becoming extremely violent, but he was arrested. A bear was euthanized after getting into a home over the weekend. An official said the same bear had entered entered several homes last year. Huh. Officials responded to a home Saturday morning to investigate after getting reports that a black bear had gotten into a home and police had to euthanize the animal. Yeah. Well, once it once it started doing that over and over again, it becomes an issue. Uh the bear This porridge is just right. Uh, the bear had an ear tag. 
uh, and DEEP officials, and I guess DEEP stands for the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection. No, knock it off. Uh, said that the bear had entered multiple homes last year. It also entered a home last month. So this guy was going around just... This profit's just right. <laughs> this guy... Yeah, that's what I was yeah, wondering. Yeah, yeah. We had the guy who was trying on the women's clothes <laughs> exactly, the other day. Yeah. You walk in, there's a uh, bear. Yeah, they eat perfect. They, uh, these panties are awesome. Hey, what are you doing? Hey! Just, try, just trying on some clothing. Get out of that! Uh, the State Department of Energy and Environment. I think I look better in it. Protection uh, tracks bear sightings, and uh, there were reports of 611 black bear sightings in Simsbury. Uh, Simsbury? Yeah, in the last year. I don't know where that is. I think Why, might, there so many goddamn bears there? I think it might be in Colorado. It's because we have really great lingerie, <laughs> and we just love it. It feels so good. Well, you can't deny who you are. Uh, emus, very large birds. Yes, they are, and uh, can be uh, uh, pricks. Yeah, they can, uh, but they're not really pets you want to keep indoors. Still, an emu got to spend a night inside after it wandered around after New York on Sunday. Jennifer Oates said the the emu ended up in her yard, and since she had previous experience with the bird, she actually helped police chase down the emu and then bring it back to her home. It, she brought it in the house, and it spent the night in her basement. Next uh, to her bear. Yeah. Uh, so the you want to try some bras? The, <laughs> the emu was then uh, transported to an animal adventure park, uh, and it's not clear where the bird came from. But could you imagine? So they, have a, they have an emu expert? One of those things in your house. Yeah, I guess so. We need you. We need our emu girl. The emu talker. Uh, a man, this is wild, stabbed his nephew four times with a six-inch fillet knife for taking too long in the bathroom. <laughs> wow, man. And claimed that the younger man also made him feel disrespected. I just don't you disrespect don't me. Disrespect. I don't understand the logic here because now you have somebody bleeding out and dying and you don't even get to use the bathroom. You don't get to use the bathroom, mm-hmm. right? It's like he didn't think it through, yeah. right? You know, Dan Johnson, who, by the way, is 72 years old, was arrested and charged with aggravated battery with a deadly weapon. I have to make a poop. The victim, Michael Johnson, called 911 to report that he had been stabbed and that... What the hell are you doing in there? The suspect, whom he identified as his uncle, was still in the house. He said, hello, I've been stabbed three or four times. He was breathing heavily in apparent pain, said, please hurry up. And then uh, Dan Johnson, uh, I'm sorry, Michael and Dan Johnson lived at a home by Michael's father, Willie. When deputies arrived at the home, they found Michael Johnson with stab wounds to his abdomen and lower back. The nephew was airlifted. He's expected to survive. Uh, Investigators said that Michael Johnson lived in his vehicle in his father's driveway and oh, man. he got to sleep in the car, son. Uh, and that his father allowed him to use the bathroom. All right, you can use the bathroom. On Tuesday, he was about to get in the shower. Get when, back in your Prius. When his uncle came banging on the door, the nephew said that his uncle started yelling at him, saying, you need to come out of the bathroom, and you've been in there too long. Michael Johnson said, I just got here, and his uncle continued to bang on the door. The younger Johnson said he wrapped himself in a towel, opened the door, and his uncle started punching him. But the nephew said he then realized his uncle wasn't punching him. He was knifing him and stabbed him. Sometimes that happens. You don't know you're being stabbed. Don't you start with the punching and then threaten the knifing? Uh, he had three stab it's, wounds. It's like skipping to triple dog dare. To the chest and abdomen, one in the lower back. Dan told investigators he had finished working in the yard. Now, this is the Dan Johnson is the uncle. The guy yeah, who's Willie. He's the dad. He's not there. All right, so Dan... <laughs> 
the uncle told investigators he had finished working in the yard, right. had a beer, yeah. and was ready to take a shower, but found the bathroom occupied. He left, returned 15 minutes later, found the facility still occupied, so he knocked on the door. He said his nephew opened the door and, quote, buffed up at him. He buffed up at him. Lex, dare you? Wait a second. Were you, you buffing at me? You son of a bitch. Were you getting all buffed up at me? Getting all swole in front of my face? A report states that although Michael Johnson didn't take a fighting stance, make verbal threats, or otherwise threaten to attack, Dan Johnson went to his room, mm-hmm. and from his collection of knives... Where's that knife for stabbing family members? <laughs> Right here. <laughs> here goes. Shows it. This one's got, got his name on it. But no, that's Willie's knife. <laughs> that's Sarah's knife. She, she's a good girl. I won't ever use that. <laughs> All right. I found it. Found it. <laughs> Willie. <laughs> so he, he, he went to his room and from his collection of knives, uh, he chose a narrow-bladed butcher or fillet knife and walked back to mm. meet his nephew. Let me see here. What one would be good for stabbing through a towel? <laughs> yeah, I like that blade, but it, it needs some sort of serrated stuff. It's caught on the terry cloth. All right, yeah, we'll go with this. Dan said his nephew took a step toward him, so he stabbed him in the stomach twice. This is after he buffed up at him? Well, yeah, well, he buffed up, and then the dude left the room well, I, and went through his knife drawer. He went through his knife drawer. No, what was happening was that he was buffing, and he figured by stabbing him, he would deflate him. Probably. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to debuff you, <laughs> you bastard. Uh, so, please. You've been debuffed, bitch. So, he stabbed him in the stomach twice. Police recovered the knife, believed to have been used. Which Dan Johnson said he put back in his collection after the stabbing. I got that special (laughs) container over here for the used knives I still have to clean. There we go. Perfect. (laughs) So he went and cleaned it off, wiped it up, put put it back with his collection. Next to my troll doll. All right. And there he's right next to his troll doll. And that is what I have for you this morning. You think about the think about the lives so many oh people lead in these bizarre file stories. I, you know, I, and I, I knock do. my cigarettes over. And so, so you know, stories like that are just I know. what? I know. That's not a life. Uh, it, it's it's pretty. It's hard to wrap your mind around. But you would stab a family member Why? for staying in the shower too long. I tend to think that that uh, maybe was the final straw. The final straw. Yeah, I think yeah. that maybe there was some sort of underlying thing. What going if it was on like there? the second straw? <laughs> right. You're not even fully yeah. right. Six straws in. Yeah, you go. Yeah. You go from leaving the toilet seat up to stab them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, to stabbing them. Said that boy right. Yeah. All right. Buffing up at me. Buffing up. What's that about? I don't even know what I mean. All right. And there you go. That's your uh, bizarre file. So, so we'll be back in just a moment. Make sure you stay with us. MMR spotlights the best rock in Philadelphia with Jackson's local shop. That's right. And this month's band is Sixth Century. Century, your local shots artist of the month. Check them out every Wednesday at 6.30 right here on the Mighty MMR. And you can hear and see more now at WMMR.com. Keyword, local shots. Sponsored by Family and Company Jewelers. Find a band that rocks her world at Family. 93.3 WMMR. Everything that rocks, Philly. 
Hey, our next guest is an accomplished writer and director. A couple little things you may have heard of before, like Loopers and oh, uh, Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Yeah. Uh, and we... Oh, you want me to play his case? There you go. <laughs> need a fanfare when we bring somebody on board. Uh, but he's here to promote the film Knives Out, which is star-studded, looks really, really cool. Please welcome writer and director Ryan Johnson. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Hey, Ryan, how are you? I'm doing great, Preston. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. We're we're excited about this. Uh, Tremendously. Yeah, we're fans of the the murder mystery, the whodunits and all that, and you just don't see them that often. uh, Yeah. This style, in the vein of Agatha Christie and in the vein of, of, you know... uh, uh, Twelve Little Indians, Murder on the Orange Express, uh, you know the Hitchcock, that yeah. sort of stuff. And they're they, when they're done well, there's nothing like them. They just totally bring you in. Yeah, that's my. It's a lot, one of my favorite genres, man. Like I grew up reading Agatha Christie's books. I grew up Loved reading them. like the movies based on them, and it's so much. Like everybody loves a good murder mystery, like a good oh, whodunit, you know? Oh, it's absolutely. Just, yeah. And it, it, what, what also is one of the few that allows for uh, great ensemble work. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You got like a rogues gallery of suspects yeah you the idea with this movie was let's do a star-studded cast it's kind of like old school like that let's have it be so like everyone that pops up on screen you're like oh it's that person yeah, yeah. Let, me, let, me, yeah. let me rattle off the names okay so, for yeah. those who may not be familiar christopher Plummer, daniel craig chris evans jamie lee curtis michael shannon tony collette Don Johnson, Loved it. who's been doing the, some great the stuff. The Watchmen. Watchmen. Yeah. Uh, Frank Oz, even. Yeah, we got and Frank in there. Awesome. <laughs> Christopher Plummer. Christopher, the, the legend. The great Christopher Plummer. The legend, yeah. Uh, and it's exactly... Also, you get a chance to, uh, with a cast like that, and Jamie Lee Curtis... Uh, to, uh, I think, I remember when I first saw the, the original Murder on the Orange Express, you know, and that's actually got me reading Agatha Christie. You can high concept characters a little bit. You know Absolutely. what I'm saying? Absolutely. They're, they're, they're just on the verge of caricature. You yeah. Can really, and that's, I mean, that's the thing with this. It's, it's a fun movie and the cast, all of these stars, they just showed up ready to play. I love, they're having a blast, love, you know? Yeah. I love Daniel Craig. I love, and, I, yeah. and Chris Evans looks to be. <laughs> He's playing a jerk. He's, He's playing, playing a real jerk. jerk. And savoring. <laughs> Everyone seems to say Michael Shannon is super intense, and yet he... He gets to. Oh, he's t- having fun, Daniel. Having fun? Daniel Craig. If you, I mean, if you just know him from the Bond movies, you would yeah. think he's a really serious, intense guy. He is so much fun in real life. He's like a blast, and he's having a ball in this movie. So, so, what's it like? I would imagine you have scenes where everybody's in it at the same time. Those are my favorite ones. What's that got to be like? That where where in between takes where these people are just kind of oh you know God. it was got to be fun. It was a party, man. Yeah. And also, I mean, we shot in a house in Massachusetts. It's like in a murder mystery mansion, but we we're in like a real house. And so everyone liked each other, and in between takes, people wouldn't, like, go back to their trailers and get on their cell phones. They would all go down in the basement of this house, like, <gasps> around the pool table and That's hang ex- out. exactly what it you was, want. It was like summer camp for movie stars. It was wow. crazy. It was really fun. So, and I think you can see on screen how much fun everyone's having. The wow. conceit is a, uh, a celebrated uh, writer. Mm. Uh, 85 years old, I yeah, guess. Plumber, he, yeah. He's having a birthday. The family's a little disenfranchised. He wants to bring them together, reunite them. And in classic fashion, he ends up dead. Yep. And <laughs> and then you have you have your uh, but all the all the all the, the the tropes that should be there are there. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, it- 
In right. a lot of ways, it's very traditional. Yeah, exactly. But then it also throws some curveballs curve at you. And the big thing it does a lot of times when you see Agatha Christie adaptations. I mean, I love them dearly, but they're they're period pieces. Yeah, this is set today. It's modern, I love that. and oh. all the characters are modern types, and so they're it's very much updated for 2019. And you you are you you're inherently uh, you have a, a good sense of humor, and you 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 see it permeate your, all, all your work. Uh, and I think a lot of times uh, people forget that the original Agatha Christie stuff and the original Hitch- Hitchcock always had a sense of humor. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I remember there's a scene in, in Frenzy, the movie Frenzy, where mm. they're, they're sitting having a meal and the meal is supposed to be analogous to the to – the, and it's just funny. <laughs> and all that stuff works. And that, that makes it even more, you know, uh, to see – well, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and Poirot, you know, oh, Christie's yeah. Detective Poirot. When Peter Ustinov, he's my favorite Poirot. I think you're right, back yeah. Back in the day, and he got the clownishness of him. There's I a, think Albert Trinity was a little hard to understand. I, yeah, yeah, I love him. He's yeah. going all out, man. But yeah. I mean, I love, I, I think Branagh's Poirot is terrific. Yeah. Ustinov was, and David Suchet is terrific. Uh, Ustinov is my favorite, though. Yeah, and yeah. there's something funny about, yeah, it's, they're having fun with these characters. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, yeah. Steve had mentioned a movie the other day that <clears throat> I loved, and I, I, I run into very few people who remember it but was murdered by death if you oh, remember oh god yeah of course yeah, such a, yeah. Uh, hilarious movie now it's yeah. a little more slapstick you know yeah yeah it, it, neil simon wrote it it's like it's his it's more like clue it's more like a parody right uh, and yeah, he was yeah. a fan he was a fan of that so oh, yeah. yeah so you know you uh your one of your works which i love is uh uh, uh break which is mm. uh has been has a Everyone always says a Dashiell Hammett sort of um, vibe to it uh, with with the sharp dialogue and everything. I mean, th- th- this is great stuff that doesn't get exercised a lot. Yeah, it's fun to go back. To, I mean, I don't know. These are genres that I grew up just like loving, you know. And so the idea is to get the essential pleasure of what everyone loves about them. But then, you know, hopefully throw some stuff at you they haven't seen in them before, too. So it feels a little, you know, it feels like you are also on a ride and you're not quite sure what's going to happen next. And the story written by you? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. so this is a completely original? Yeah, this, this is, is an original who done it, yeah. Okay, so... Do you start at the end and work your way back? <laughs> I actually, I start way zoomed back. I start just thinking about the shape of the whole thing. Okay. So, uh, so, but I need to have that. I need to have the whole thing. I couldn't start writing at the beginning and find my way through. I, right. I need to have the whole shape in my head before I sit I, down. I think you would have to. Yeah. And, and there's a certain, the, the people who have done it the best, I think, approach it that way. Yeah. Because... Um, you know, it allows you to keep tagging things on, you know? Yeah, and see and, and MacGuffins and all that. Well, when you get to the end of a good murder mystery, you know, and you have the scene, one of my favorite types of scenes in all of fiction where the detective lays the whole thing out yes. like in the library, yeah. yes, which the we, have, we have a really good one of those. <laughs> like, and, and with that, you have to have laid the groundwork because it's only satisfying if you feel like, oh yeah, that thing. Oh yeah, if you recognize each of them and it's paying something off. Did you have someone fact check and make sure that <laughs> you know what, what you did was legitimate? You know, you know who was the best at that on set? Chris, uh, Chris Evans. He okay. Would, he would bust my balls man. You come <laughs> every, in between every take and like I would just notice this and then I, every time my heart would clench up because I was like oh no he caught me and then I realized oh no it's because of this and I would explain to All him right. say, yeah, okay. I got away with well, it that's, with a, that's a sign of a good uh, mystery because yeah, you, you, check but out. wait a minute yeah, yeah, no 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 you know what I mean yeah. Yeah. I, I love it and, I, and the, the critical response has been sensational yeah, and it's, it's got to make you feel good when you invest time in something you love not that it's everything yeah. but it's 
create something. You know, I'll tell you, the, 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 the bigger thing is this is like a movie to be seen with an audience. And the audience is, it's been playing really well. It's been, you know, it gets big laughs and then people are enjoying it. That, that to me is what's fun. I'm psyched to show it tonight. You know? Allow me to uh, quote the Hollywood Reporter, which says, an ingeniously plotted, tremendously entertaining, and deviously irreverent crowd pleaser. Uh, well, that's wow. the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. what you want. Relatively speaking, you're, you're a, a younger filmmaker. You know, God with, with bless the, you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> with, with, with the body of work. But, um, you know, we've, we, so obviously we're, we're going to talk about this stuff and the, and the Star Wars, uh, um, uh, you know, universe that you're now in. And now you have... You've um, you have your own trilogy that you're responsible for that that has been and this if, if I'm not correct tell me yeah uh, so I can start weeping but <laughs> I, I think uh, you have this potential uh, this this new universe that you can create from the ground up that's in the same environment but removed yeah yeah it's that's what's really exciting moving forward because the you know the, the they've said with episode nine that JJ is doing right now which I'm God I'm so excited for I cannot yeah, wait it looks phenomenal oh God that trailer just knocked me out so uh, I mean that's going to be they've said over and over this is going to be the end of kind of this era of the movies of and the I think it's show. time honestly I I, mm. I love I, I love. And I love every even the, yeah. the second trilogy, the Lucas trilogy. Certainly, there are issues. Perhaps you've heard some of the buzz about what, <laughs> what, what fans think. I, I think I, I commend you for for taking on something like that because you're damned if you do and oh, damned I, if you don't. I love the fans so much. <laughs> I, I am a fan. I grew, yeah. That's a thing. I grew up as a Star Wars fan, and so all of the passion for it. I, I was in my twenties when the prequels came out. So both sides of the passion for Star Wars I've sure. been plugged into always, and, I, I, and I that's just, what's great about it. You know? I commend you for agreeing to do it, like. Mm-hmm. Because you're such a fan, you're like, yeah. W- did you ever? Was there ever a thought of like, no, I can't do this? No, I don't. I mean, it, it's just something that's so deep. You know, everyone is a Star Wars fan. Who like, you went when them when those first movies came out. If you're mm-hmm. like, if you're like my age, like you can't. You saw them when you were like five and six. It's so deep in your bones. It's mm-hmm. something you love so dearly. And also the people who make these movies, and the producers and everything, and the talent. They're just the best people on the planet, and everyone is just working from such a pure place of love for what this thing is, you know. And so, no, man, I couldn't, you know. That, that, you had to. It, I, I, you I, had to let that purity guide, you know, at least you could have control over it. It's the only thing you can yeah. do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just follow kind of, you know, what you want to do. So I want to ask you about uh, ownership of movies, because people take the um, Star Wars universe very seriously. And, and I'm a Star Wars nerd uh, through and through, yeah. um, but people also confuse opinions and facts all the time. <laughs> and, and it bothers me, because if you have an opinion on a movie, that's not necessarily a fact about that movie. <laughs> but people state them as if they are. Yeah. And and I loved Last Jedi. Oh, and there were so many layers to it that I, I think people are misunderstood, or they walked out of the theater with uh, an opinion and it's fine for them to have their opinion too mm. but um what what's your take on uh on on blowback or criticism or whatever do, do, does it bother you does it stick with you or, or how do you interpret it well like i said i gotta come at it from again the perspective of being a star wars fan my whole life and realizing that the passion for it, it it's there are two sides to that you know the passion's going to land one way for some and if you don't like something that passion's going to apply back the other way and there's no use there's no, you know, you, you can't have one without the other, I guess. You know, people feel strongly about this stuff because they care about it so deeply. And people are going to respond to different things. Every fan is looking for something slightly different from the Star Wars movie. There's nothing that's going to stand. And that's, like, that's the general, I, I yeah. was in the theater on opening night for the original Star Wars because I'm an old bastard. <laughs> and and I'd re- 
read the paperback book that was wow. that, that before yeah, the movie yeah, came out that yeah. had scenes that were not even shot for the movie. Sure. It's from Lucas's screenplay, yeah. and the movie was always intended to be a fun homage to the movie serials. Yeah, it's Buck Rogers. Uh, that's yeah. it. Yeah, man. And, and it was supposed to be loving and fun. Yeah. But then, as it as its own myth <laughs> almost started to weigh it down, yeah. and people lost sight of just go have a good time. Well, also, but the thing is, though, I feel like there is always an element because it's it it was that, but then you know, with Empire, it dug a little bit deeper into the mythic and stuff, and, and that's it, one of the uh, you know that was a fish hook that yeah. like got us all. You know, Empire really shook it up from A New Hope in every single way. I mean, not just the big "I am your father" twist, but tonally, and also yeah. in terms of how deep it went, in terms of digging into that kind of deeper myth- mythological stuff, you know, the psychological stuff. So, so and a he, classic second act. Yeah. Oh, my God. It doesn't 100%. end happy. Mm-hmm. And, does, and, yeah. and really turns everything up on, onto its head and then in a way that can be really satisfyingly resolved in the third yeah. one. Yeah. You see where I'm going with that. Yeah. Well, you, uh, <laughs> you, uh, you, you did some things in this movie that, um, that we hadn't seen in any of the previous eight, yeah. mo- or I'm sorry, seven movies, I should say. Yeah. Um, and one of them was using light, sw- light speed as a weapon. Yeah. Um, which well, although the, fir- the first, I mean, in A New Hope, the first time they talk about light speed, what, what, what's the context they're talking about? And they're talking about you've got to do your calculations, right? Yeah. Or you'll run into something, and yep. then it'll be a big mess. But the blowback on that, and you know, fans well, like... Well, I never quite understood that, because the thing is, it's they that was the context that it was introduced in. So you, it's you not like hit. it physically can't happen. So the only argument I've really heard is we don't want to think about the fact that it can't can happen because that complicates yeah. how, Wait, how you, we have to think about war in this world. You would have to make calculations and you had like shield yeah. things to, exactly for that. But I mean, it's your it's your toy. You'd run with yeah, it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, no, that yeah. It's like, know. because, no, 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 no. What, so, the, so the eight foot talking carpet, that's real? Yeah. Relax! <laughs> Just well, to, I mean, it has to make sense within the context of the world. And I, yeah, but, you're I, right. but I feel like, you know, that that I can stand behind. You know? No, it was, a, it, was a, it was a mother effer of a scene. Yeah, and that scene. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, the effects of that, it, it was great. If you're just tuning in, it's uh, Ryan Johnson who's here, writer and director. Knives Out is in theaters. Um, speaking of fans, real quick, and I know you guys all have questions. Everybody's got their hands raised here. <laughs> but uh, as uh, now, I haven't gone back and watched uh, The Last Jedi in a little while. But is that, uh, I, I think fans had a bunch of fun with the fight scene where uh, Kylo and... And Ray, uh, you know what I'm talking about? They use the different pieces of music. Mm. Did you just happen to yeah, see those? Yeah, that was really fun. Everyone started remixing it to different songs. Oh, yeah. Aaron Nick Murphy, who I introduced you to, yeah. he did a whole... Uh, he did like a dozen of them. He did a whole album. I've uh, like, <laughs> some, like Some funny ones and some other ones that like, you know, totally absolutely made sense. I but love it. I think, I think he might even use Firework from uh, Katy Perry. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. That's that awesome. I totally see that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a blast. Man. You, you gotta love that fans are having Well, that's what... I mean, they take it and they make it their own, whether it's that or fan fiction or fan art or, you know, people just take this stuff so personally. That's mm-hmm. what's great about it. You know? In uh, A New Hope, uh, Luke meets Leia via a hologram. And mm-hmm. in The Last Jedi, Luke says goodbye to Leia via a hologram. Was mm-hmm. that your idea? Yeah. Yeah, man. You got, I mean, the, the symmetry, you know, you're always looking for symmetry. Wow. If you can hit that sweet spot with symmetry. So that even if you don't, you know, the first time you watch a movie, you aren't thinking of it in those terms. When you step back and take a look at the whole thing laid out, you're like, oh, this rhymes with this and this, it bookends this. Especially with something like the, like Star Wars, you're always searching for those, you know, those things to lay in there. Thank you for answering questions about it. Because I know you're yeah. here to, to talk about no, Knives Out. And, yeah. and so, but and, and I, I can't wait to see that movie as well. But I, I, I well, we have a director of one of the Star Wars, Wars movies I in 
in the studio. We, we, we lavish love on on, uh, on uh, Knives Out as well, but I yeah. also have to ask you: as a, a Looper is a is an amazing film, and it oh, also thanks. speaks to your ability to add. Remember watching that and go, "Wow, this is a really cool conceit." I'm thinking of like as a uh, uh, Harlan Ellison, Philip K. Dick sort of vibe to yeah, it. It's cool, it's yeah. jumping around. And then it gets you emotionally too, and you know when you're, and and that's something that I think when you can do that in all yeah. in all this stuff where you you know you can go down one path ah, and, and phone it in, and then it becomes something where it, where it just it gets you you know viscerally with with the kid and and what 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 his future will be mm. and how you how things have to be right. That to me was just such an amazing. And I don't want to give it away if you've never seen it. You need to see Luber if you've never seen it. <laughs> but uh, working with Bruce Willis and working with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who you worked with in, in uh, Brick as well, uh, you know, you start to build an ensemble of people you go to, you know, and, yeah. and uh, um, there, there are people that are comfortable. Who who, who do you consider your, your go-to, you know, people now? Well, I haven't worked with them for a few movies, but Joe Gordon-Levitt is, yeah. is one of my good he's friends. Awesome, he's, he's so good, man. Yeah. He's, he's such a good person, you know. He's such a lovely, wonderful guy. And uh, I, I, I managed even... So Last Jedi, uh, he wasn't... We got him in there as a voice, alien voice. Okay, Nine, I was Knives wondering. Out, we had to get him in there as a voice, too. Oh, that's great. Because available, so you keep your ears peeled. He's in there. So right. you guys are friends. Yeah, we're buddies. Okay, because yeah. he, he's in a scene of a movie. It's one of my favorite mo- theatrical scenes ever, and it's a it's a movie called uh, Five Hundred Days of Summer. Oh yeah, and it's when the Hall and Oates song comes on. <laughs> I, you know, it, to me, I just uh, and there's a Han Solo there thing in it as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I I would love to meet that guy. He's he is a good friend He's of a yours, sweetheart, man. He is so cool. We yeah, tell we him that so- I love him. <laughs> Let's call him right now. Let's get him on speaker. Whenever I hear that song, I bounce around like he does when he's walking down the street. Like I want to do yes. what he did in yeah. that movie. Yeah, no, he's a yeah. We made the very first movie I made was called Brick. It was like a weird like high school noir, and I've he, heard was, that he was in it twice today. I haven't seen it. Oh well. Yeah, did you shoot was, that at the high school you went to? I did. Yeah, yeah. I shot at San Clemente High School down in Orange County. That's um, wild. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's got to be cool to come back with a film crew to the school that you. It was cool, but we yeah. were really low budget. We were like micro budget with that movie. Still. So I think we were more annoying yeah. to them. <laughs> I'm surprised that we they didn't kick us out before right. we were done filming. Well, yeah. Knives Out, honestly, is is I, I, I cannot wait to see it. Uh, it, nice. it. It looks phenomenal. And, and uh, um, so I assume, have you done the full premiere route yet or uh, is where this is one cog in the premiere well cycle? you yeah philly is not a cog oh, I know. this is the main uh, yes. engine of the, <laughs> the whole tour thank you for saying that the, yeah we we premiered at toronto and yeah. we've we, i would just came from the chicago film festival and we're and we're here tonight and uh i'm psyched to see it with every like i said man this is a this is a crowd movie. This is a yeah. crowd-pleasing movie. It's so much fun to be in the theater when a big crowd is watching this. Love I'm it. Love it. Can I ask what the title refers to, or is it a plot point that we need to wait for? No, or? it's, I mean, sort of, there are knives in it, but it's, it's I mean, the, the, radio, the Radiohead song yeah. is, is what I, I it kind oh. of stuck it in my head years ago. You know, I'm, oh. Amnesiac, I think it's on, Knives Out. Okay. And so that phrase just always seemed like a cool turn of phrase to me. It seemed like a good murder mystery. It, it always, title. well, it always, it, to me, it always, it always indicates. And the knives are out your, for you. Knives are yeah. out. Your knives are, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Somebody's got it. Yeah, which I, which definitely applies to the family in this movie. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Can I jump in real quick? I just want to ask you because I know that you you do have your fingerprint on the the Breaking Bad universe, mm-hmm. and you uh, directed a couple of um, episodes of the final season. Yeah, I watched El Camino, and then I was like, oh god, I got to go back and watch the final two seasons. So I did that, and then I watched El Camino again. So so you directed Ozymandias, yeah. and. I gotta ask: Is that the episode where Walt calls Skyler and has the phone conversation with her? Yeah. That is like some of the finest acting I've ever witnessed in my entire life because he is um, 
saying things to her um, without but, saying them. With, with, but he's also on, like, so what you're hearing through the phone is what he's saying, but emotionally, he's not saying those words. And, mm. like, so. Can you explain that better I, than what I, I mean, just said? No, you put it just beautifully, man. Okay. Cranston, I mean, that's the explanation. It's one word. It's Cranston. <laughs> that dude is just... Cranston. Really so you didn't have, a, you didn't yeah. have anything yeah. to do with that? No, man. No, honestly, I. you know, you show up and you do, you know, you do your work as a director, which is on set to be an audience for the actor, you know, and yeah. so you watch it. If you feel something, you say it to them. If you feel, you know, try this, try that. The truth is, though, especially at Breaking Bad, I mean, the writing is so good, you know, the, those actors... As a director, it makes your job so easy. You yeah. just show up on set and just, like, roll with it and try and maximize it. You know? Real quick, how many takes for that particular scene? I don't know. I think it was it was, it was was freezing that night. Okay. So probably, I don't think many. <laughs> I, think we, I think it was maybe three or four. You know? was, it, and then, and then uh, Anna Gunn, you know, okay. Skyler's side of the call. It's interesting because, you know, I remember with uh, Yoda, you know, with Mark and Frank Oz, Mark Hamill and Frank Oz. Yeah. Um, Frank telling me, you know, everyone talks about the expressiveness of the puppet and the performance of Yoda, and he said 90% of it is Mark believing, you know, listening. Yeah, yeah, and, and, I can believe that, yeah. And, yeah, it's, it's a weird analogy, but what, what Anna is doing on the other side, the amount of that call where we're on her face and hearing her realize what her husband is doing mm -hmm. that's you know that's as much of the scene as okay that. and for that was she <clears throat> was she in the next room was she actually on the phone with him while he was doing it or he was you doing mean, a playback or? no we had him there so he was obviously we shot them completely separately but then we have both and it, vice versa she was on set kind of on the phone with him there did one uh, for his side of it and okay. then we were in the house shooting is a totally different day but he was there for her side of it so they were both there for each other okay that's yeah. wild stuff wow. It's yeah. great. Wild. And by the way, you should probably put some ointment on those fanboy burns you just got. Yeah. <laughs> those could get infected. That's all right. I'm scabbed. I'm scabbed over. It's all right. You got the scabs. All right. Thank you very much, Ryan Johnson. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming by. I appreciate it. And with that, we are going to take a quick break. Coming back in just a moment, we got some B-Fell stories up next. Disturbed are back with a new track. And no, it's not that margarita mashup. Check out the video for Hey You on WMMR.com. And while you're there, listen to Brett Porsche's interview with Dan Donegan, who gives us an update on the upcoming Disturbed album. Find it all at WMMR.com. This is from Men's Health Magazine. They visited a little while back, but I don't think we ever explored this. It is the 47... Sylvester Stallone movies ranked from worst to best. Worst to best, forty-seven yeah. Stallone movies, and now it's a lot. Listen, we we've said it. We're massive Stallone fans, and and he is. I think he's on a uh, a tear with his uh, capabilities lately, and he's you know he's just turning out great stuff. But even he and he's what we love about him is that he's candid and admits his own failures, and his failures have been pretty staggering. Mm -hmm. Some of his best movies are probably not going to be on, well, according to me, you know, on I, the top five of his this list. Okay. Because well, I, I do like the crappy well, movies. Well, listen, I'm looking at this list. There's a lot of movies here, yeah. 47, mm -hmm. and some of these I've never heard of. Okay. All right. So let me let me roll through a few. Some If we're going to get to all these, we're going to have to move fairly quickly. All right, let's go. Um, get Carter. Which came out in 2000. Right. I, I do remember that. That's uh, a remake. Uh, it was him and uh, Michael Caine. 
Yeah. Was uh, he I like guess. a hitman or something like that? I don't remember. He yeah. was teaching Michael Caine English. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, number 46 is, is Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. We know that one. with, was uh, with Estelle Getty, right? Yeah, yeah. Horrible. Uh, number 45, Rhinestone. Rhinestone. It, we, oh, you listen to the show, you know Rhinestone. Yeah, Drinkenstein. Drinkenstein. Yeah. And they call him a Drinkenstein. 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 It's transformation every <laughs> time. That's why they call him a Drinkenstein. Yeah. Uh, so that is that's number forty five on the list. Yeah, it goes. Away. Are you looking for drinking? Uh, yeah, Jason? you know He is a cab driver. Yeah, click it's it. a, basically a pig. He was doing that on purpose, obviously. Where he makes the transformation all the time. Dear God. It's just a terrible The problem is movie. all of this was done on purpose. Uh, number 44, Oscar. Yeah. I've uh, never watched it. Dude, that was just on not that long ago. It was on maybe a month ago. He's, he's wealthy, right? He's yeah. wealthy, yeah. and but he's kind of like a... Like it's a period piece. Gangster or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think is Marissa Tomei in that? I yeah, think that's so, what, yeah, yeah. We were looking at a video, yeah. Uh, then we have Capone. Capone is, you know who's in Capone? Um, no. God, so he, he's from 1975. I, I, it's with Ben Gazzara. I believe okay. Ben Gazzara plays Capone, and he's Capone's, well, he was there getting siblings. We were climbing up the ladder below him. Okay. And that's how we took over Capone. Okay. Frank Nitti, he played in this I played one. Frank Nitti. And you know what the new mascot for the Flyers is called? What? Gritty. Oh, so Frank Nitty knows Gritty. gritty, You see? Yeah. In the city. In the city. Uh Uh-huh. So the girls are so pretty. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're very witty. (laughs) Thank you. God, this you know is really shit. Oh, I can't say it. You can't say it. Uh, Capone was 43. 42, No Place to Hide. Came out in 1973. Don't know that movie. No. Do you know it? No. I think no. That kind of mine. Uh, number 41 is The Expendables 3. I'm a sucker for The Expendables. I've they're, never seen any of them. They're the first, um, the first couple are, are, are uh, the first number one and number two. It's all these Action stars Schwarzenegger and Dolph Lundgren and Jason mm-hmm. Statham and Edie, you buy into it and enjoy it, or you don't. He's in all of them, though, right? He, he's the writer and uh, director. All right, so this is like the the worst of the of the three. It's the worst of these bad books. Okay, <laughs> uh, number four. <laughs> number forty was Lock Up. Lock Up is uh, yeah, that's where he. Uh, that's where I. <laughs> I've held uh, illegally. And I'm a good prisoner, but um, oh, okay. I have to survive because I'm in lockup. Uh, the jail underwater? No, no. Why? No, that's underwater. Is, the one with Schwarzenegger. Is that the one I'm thinking of? Maybe I'm thinking of a different one. Maybe right. you're right, and I'm wrong. Uh, was Maybe not- you think about it right, <laughs> and I'm thinking about it wrong. Oh, it's, no, I was right. It's the one, it's the one I love Don- it when he gets pissed off. Donald Sutherland. Yeah. Okay. It came out in 1989. Was Donald yeah, Southern yeah. the warden? He was a bad warden. Evil warden, yeah. He was also an animal house. He was. <laughs> yeah, he was. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I, I just can't presume you know that. Okay. Were you thinking about daylight, Casey? Mm, that's well, the escape from the tunnel. Yeah. Let, let me move on. No, we'll we'll he, get to he, that one. That's uh, the hiding tunnel. <laughs> uh, number 39 is Avenging Angelo. Avenging Angelo. Angelo? 
I'm going to avenge you. Uh, that came out in 2002. I, I don't remember, remember Avenging I, Angelo. No. Uh-uh. Unofficial sequel to Lockup. How about this one, Steve? These are all of Stallone's movies, yeah, right? From it, worst going. to best. Number 38, The Party at Kitty and Studs. <laughs> the Party at Kitty and Studs. That was his porn movie. Remember? Oh, he, was the, he was listed as... Now, after it was released, after Rocky, they recut the credits... And he was listed as the Italian stallion in the yep. credits. Yep, 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 correct. Because, and there's, you, you see, full dong shot. Says there's no hardcore action, which makes it less interesting than one might hope. He was, uh, des- my penis. He was desperate for rent money. Yeah. Uh, but the party at Kitty and Studs came out in 1970. Oddly enough, I mean, that beat out movies like Inspe- <laughs> Expendables 3 and no. Capone and this, Oscar. No, this is inverted. But let's keep going. It's it's a walk down memory lane. But you know what? Fun fact. You want a fun fact? I do. Fun All fact. Right. I use the money from Kitty and Studs to uh, help finance the writing of Rocky. Well, that's a good thing. And then number 37, Rocky Five came in. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the worst of the Rockies by yeah. far. Yeah, yeah no question cool. about it. It's it's poor. It's like, like a said, billion horrible movies. It's like you said, Steve. They made him virtually brain dead yeah, in the movie. They honestly. Made him, they made him so staggeringly stupid. They should have had him just Talia Shire feeding him soft food with a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right. sorry. Like, 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 what was that? And more, more applesauce. <laughs> <laughs> your face <laughs> looks horrible when you do. Dabbing the foot, I got some on my chin. Oh my god. Rocky. That's where we got this. We'll just come up on the roof. Who do you think it is? Do I hear reindeer on my roof? That's him hitting her. Rantlers. Unbelievable. Look who's he hits Adrian in the face because yeah, you're ruining it. You, you're giving it away. Santa. Hey. Santa. hey. Santa. All right. I had it all wrote it out. Stupid. Dumb bitch. Whoa. Will you? Hey, you know what? Do you know? Five is at thirty-seven. Number thirty-six is Reach Me, which yeah. came out in two thousand fourteen. I have no idea. Uh, it came out in two thousand fourteen. Yeah, Kira Sedgwick, uh, Terry Crews, Danny Trejo, Kelsey Grammer, and Sly are all in this movie. You know, sometimes these movies do. I, I will. We will receive these promotional movies yeah, here. You read the video, and you'll look at it and you'll go. Uh, I mean, you know. 
a big name actor, you'd be yeah. like, De Niro did a movie? Yeah. With I've never heard of this You're before. You're called tax write-offs. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Reach Me was number 36. Then you had Paradise Alley. That yeah. is right after the success of Rocky. He did this movie with Armando Sante, and it was a uh, took place in, like, the 20s, and it's, it's uh, re- like, street wrestling, and he ha- it was sort of like a, of Mice and Men. He had a super big brother who wrestled. Do you remember this? No. And he was sort of the uh, the schemer. Okay. Uh, and he sings... <laughs> He sings the theme song. You remember that? Nope. He goes, Paradise. Oh, my we God. Have it. Oh, you mean the actual thing? The yes. theme song to Sly. the film that I'm talking about. Sly wanted to be a singer, too, which is partially why he did uh, uh, Rhinestone as well, because he actually, at, near the end, he actually starts singing. But, but he was wrong. Uh, it was 1978 that that came out, Paradise Alley. Uh, number 34 is Driven, the Formula One racing. Oh, yeah. It was... I never really saw it. I saw scenes from it, but it looked really cheesy. It was 2001 that that came out. I don't uh, know if I ever saw it. Number 33 is Rambo First Blood Part 2. No! <laughs> no! That's top Thank five you. for me! Thank you! Thank you much. It's a junk food movie. I, I enjoy it. Uh, yeah, but it's, uh, you know. You know what? It's, it's way over, over the, the top. top. It's yeah. completely over the top, but it built a... Over yeah. the top has to be on yeah, there, too, But way. that's what I'm saying. Over the top exactly. is exactly. Exactly. I'll uh, tell you what, though. Uh, well, Ram, the movie Rambo itself, one of my favorites. Uh, the very, uh, yeah, First yeah. Blood. Dude. Rambo yeah. and Rambo, and there's Rambo yeah. First Blood. I liked First Blood, uh, the very first Rambo movie uh, of all those, the right. best. No but question. The, the Rambo, just no First Blood. Which is the most reason is yep. really incredible. Uh, so that was uh, 33. KCS. But they have Rambo 3 above this? The one where he goes to the Middle East? I don't know. I know. <laughs> let's let's Wait, find out. It was the Mujahideen? Yeah. The is over! It's over! Uh, number 32 is The Specialist. Yeah. Uh, this came out in 1994. It's about a neurosurgeon. No. <laughs> We're going to have to remove your head. You can't. You will kill the parent. Who's the doctor here? Are you wearing a stethoscope? Well, I wear it. What? 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 Stethoscope? <laughs> what is that again? Stethoscope. Is the thing you stick in your ears. It's got a mirror on the end. <laughs> no, that's... Uh, what is that? You put that on the chest and... Oh, uh, I've been shaving it. Okay. <laughs> not a very good neurosurgeon. Shut up. <laughs> uh, Stallone and, and Sharon Stone were in that together. It was 1994. All right, here's another one I don't remember. Ratchet and Clank. Uh, I do remember that. Now, there was a video game series named Ratchet yeah. and Clank. Yeah, yeah, okay. This came out two years ago. Hmm. Yeah. Is the, it animated? It's the, animated. It says the kid-friendly adaptation of a beloved video game is charming and diverting enough, but also instantly forgettable. Uh, number 30 is Judge Dredd. Judge, now, the version of uh, Judge Dredd that's, I can't believe I'm under the brain fart. The uh, Carl Urban. Dredd. Yeah. is so good. It's exactly what you wanted it to be. It's His version of Judge Dredd is a junk food movie. Mm-hmm. I still kind of enjoy it. But Dread is the one you want to see. By the way, we may not finish this list today. Uh, Damn it. Well, there's, there's still 30 movies left. Made on a lot there. of movies. I yeah. made time. You made a lot of movies. You made a lot of movies. Yeah. Yeah. With a lot of stuff. reefer. Yeah. <laughs> Judge Dread came out in 1995. What, Casey? Uh, no, I made time. <clears throat> oh, you made time. Made okay. time. All right. Uh, number 29 is Escape Plan. That's yeah. the one I was thinking that's of. That's it. Yes. And that's 
It's not. It's junk food, but yeah. it's not bad. Well, we're, they, getting, we're getting closer to the top here. We're getting so, closer yeah. to the top of the yeah. top. They made, to the crib. They yeah. made several escape plans. In fact, another one's coming out this year. Escape uh-huh. plan three, the extractors. Yeah. All right. Let me move on. So uh, that came out in 2013. Uh, number twenty eight is Grudge Match. Oh, the boxing movie where he oh. and, is it? He and uh, him and De Niro. De Niro. Yeah, it's actually not bad. Yeah. I never saw it. Was it's it actually, not bad? It's not great. <clears throat> it's there are moments of the fact you have De Niro who's raging bull against you know Rocky. You know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, I I probably was. It's probably worse than I thought it was when oh I watched God. it, but I kind of enjoyed it. How silly is that that I never even put that together? Rocky against Raging Bull. Yeah, I never. Yeah. Even, I even considered that because I never considered watching the movie. <laughs> uh, but Grudge Match was in 2013. It's number 28. Number 27 is Assassins. Assassins. Is that with Sharon Stone? <laughs> <laughs> Antonio Banderas was in it. I don't know if Sharon Stone was. No, she was in the uh, the specialist. Yeah, she was in the other one. All right, yeah. 1995. Stop or my specialist will shoot. Oh, so th- this came out in 19... 19- <laughs> right. It's the number 27. Then at number 26 is Bullet to the Head. Yeah, I remember this. Um, this is like a John Woo type movie. Woo! Okay. Uh, it's he was hitman Jimmy Bobo. Uh, my name is Jimmy Bobo. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And this is my sister Dumbo. Okay. And it says that he he maintains the same cool demeanor as he ever did and delivers a surprising amount of emotion. Unfortunately, the plot is a disaster. Uh, but the director Walter Hill does pull off an impress impressive set pieces. It says yes, it's very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how about this? Uh, number 25 in 2002 was I See You. I See You. As in e- an optometrist. As in E-Y-E. Yeah, it's oh. spelled I See You. Yeah. Uh, it's this failed thriller. It's about an FBI agent suffering from PT- PTSD who has to put aside his trauma to nab a serial killer nevertheless deliver some satisfying jolts. It is very satisfying. This is from uh, Men's Health Magazine. If you're just tuning in, uh, all 47... Sylvester Stallone movies ranked from worst to best, according to Men's Health. Yeah. Uh, number 24, The Expendables, the original one. I enjoy it. In 2010. Hey, you, you, for well, anybody who went through the process of, of you know being into all those action movies, mm-hmm. and you, when you're talking about the, in the years of the Chuck Norris films and all of these things, you have all the guys who are involved in that stuff together, and it's fun. Uh, then after that is number 23, Daylight. Daylight is the uh, is the one in the tunnel. In the Holland Tunnel. The Highland Tunnel. That is correct. They need to, to get <laughs> it's out. It's not in Holland. Fun fact. Yeah. Fun fact. Yeah. It's in New York City. It's in New York City. Uh, it starts leaking. The, yeah, they were they were in the Holland Tunnel. Before. And we get wet. They were trapped. <laughs> it was caved in by a massive explosion. And, uh, yeah, that's the story behind but, that. Uh, it works out okay. Now, let me ask you, Sly, if you think The Expendables 2 was better than the original Expendables, because that came in ahead of it. I sort of do. At number 22. Okay, then I fair I sort of do. You sort of <laughs> do. Yeah. The Lorna Dune? I Lorna Dune. <laughs> Which is a hoity-toity cookie. <laughs> <laughs> that came out in 2012. 21 is Cliffhanger. Cliffhangers are junk food. Uh, you know, it's it's a classic. He's up. Where are they in the in the Andes? And he's in a wife beater. The Dolomites in Italy, right? Yeah, I love it. Right, Dolomite, like the black exploitation <laughs> star. Uh, I, I don't remember that. John Lithgow is the Italy. evil guy, and the, yeah. and uh, who's from Twin Peaks? The uh, the real the the, the uh, not Twin Peaks from uh, Northern Exposure. Yeah, Janine Turner. Janine Turner. Rooker's in it. I think it was shot in the Dolomites, but uh, it, maybe was. it took place in it the Robin's in the in, in the termites. 
again, like all of these, not as good as Rainbow 2, man. Okay. First Blood Part 2. Hey, banger. It was, a, it was the box office success. When's the last time you watched uh, Rambo 2? Has it mm. been within the past mm. few years? I'm just wondering if it stands up to your... Uh, you know what, Press? Maybe I should go back it and Maybe and watch some it. of it's nostalgia. It's probably you know, nostalgic. I, I smoked a cigarette for the first time in that theater. Well, that makes okay. big difference. <laughs> yeah, in the time. theater? In the theater. While the, in the, while the movie was going on? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Me okay. and, me it and was a different time. <laughs> it was. Uh, all right, so cliffhanger, that, that's 2120, is Fist. Fist. That's the uh, where he's... I'm, I'm basically playing um, the mob... Uh, Jimmy Hoffa. Okay. I'm, bas- I'm basically playing Jimmy Hoffa. Uh, that came out in 1978. Uh, and that was... Uh, it's not bad. Okay. And then uh, number 19 is Cobra. Cobra is wow. a horrible movie. Oh. It's, it, I, it's rare that I can say... Because uh, I will watch the biggest crap... It doesn't matter. I love crappy movies. Cobra's so bad. That's what you think. You go that way. You're the disease and I'm the cure. Yeah. And there's the guy who has a super wide neck, and he bangs hammers together. The <laughs> yeah, the sunglasses, right. the matchstick in the mouth, and of course, and the tower power. You know who's uh, the the who played Red Sonja? Bridget Nielsen. Bridget Nielsen. Um, Bridget. Yeah, they ended up together for a little while. Got married. You did get married. I did wow. She's you wouldn't mind marrying me much. You like this toothpick in my mouth? Yeah. It made me look tough, doesn't it? And, and you know what? You can clean your teeth with it, too. But he had the... Uh, no, it wasn't a toothpick. It was a match. It was a match. That's why it kept sitting up there. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, it was it was the sunglasses, the yeah. match. Stand, At night, even. And the car. Like, just like Corey Hart. Uh, and, of course... T- Spoiler alert, the match is used for the climactic moment at the right. end of the movie. Yeah. You're, the You're, the <laughs> You're the roto, I'm the rooter. <laughs> I'm sorry, that, that movie was terrifying at points. I it was a terrifying so. that I was at it. Yeah. Well, the, the bad dude, the evil guy was freaking... Had a big face, yeah. and a big neck, and he had hammers. What else? And he had hammers. And he would clink them together, and everybody would go, yeah. Nick, could you figure find out what else that guy was in? Because he's been he's been in other movies. He was in, yeah. yeah, he was in Pitch Perfect. <laughs> was it? I think those well, were axes, know. by the way, not hammers. Were they? Yeah, it looked uh, like hammers to me. Which Gonz- guy was it? Was it Gonzalez? Was that the bad guy? Uh, Renny Santoni? No. no, not him. Hold on, not him. We got to fish around on That's uh, him. Big Nicky Kaleki. Um, Night Slasher, Brian Thompson. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's him. Yeah. yeah, he was in a number of movies. He was in Joe Dirt. Yeah, uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation yeah. and Dragonheart. So maybe he wasn't in as many things as I thought he was in, but he still works today. Absolutely. Yeah, for pizza. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's still acting. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but didn't he did he have the knife with the spikes on the handle part? Yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. And remember, they were all that they had made it. There was a cop that they were all there. Were there was this cult was entrenched deeply. Even some of the police were yes. members of the cult. Yep. Yeah, she right. was scary looking. Very, Very scary. Bang hammers together. You're the disease and the cure. Uh, number eighteen is shade. Shade. Don't remember, remember Shade. Came out in 2003. It's about card sharks. You're the son and the shade. <laughs> no, it's about card sharks. Uh, the, the TV game show? The old game show. He was the Beverly host. Beverly Card Sharks, that's yeah. your host. <laughs> and what do we have for him today? You want to use the black turtle wax? <laughs> Thank you for being part of the game. Now, may you tell me an interesting story. You come from Cincinnati, and it turns out your son is with vaudeville shacks, right? 
because he spins dishes on a stick. <laughs> he spins dishes on a stick. Yeah, it's a funny story. Well, okay, anyway, back to the game. Card okay. sharks. All right, so all right. Let's get the uh, let's go to the bonus round now. Yeah, quite good. By the way, you remember if you lose, I kill you with a machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> that big guy with the thick neck come out and beat you to death with a hammer. <laughs> I like to be my friend's job. <laughs> all right, uh, so. <laughs> You're the contestant. Uh, I'm the host. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it starred Jamie Foxx, Melanie Griffith, uh, Gabriel Byrne, and Sandy Newton. Sandy. Mm, no. Fin- Sandy? Sandy. Sandy. Not with, not Sandy, but Sandy. Sandy. Yeah. yeah. It's, the Sandy's up next on that's right. uh, Card Sharks. Okay, so that's number 18. Then you had number 17 was Rambo. Match game. No, Rambo 3. Casey? Yeah, I... No. Okay. Rambo okay. three is the is the bombs on the end of the arrows, right? Listen to me. In Rambo two, he blows a guy up with an arrow. All right? That's it. So that's yes. in two. Yeah. All right. And then he also hides in a mud wall. A mud wall. The mud wall. Mm-hmm. The Asian chick that uh, was the love interest. She was cute, man. What is a spendable? Is yeah. this uh, is that is that the one where he grabs the mic and goes, "I'm coming to get you." Yes, Murdoch. I'm Murdoch. Get you. Yeah. And we're also doing the Black of Floyd. <laughs> Coming to get you. You're a jock. That's right. I didn't know. 61 degrees of the chance. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget. Song of the day at 3 o'clock. <laughs> Smash or crash? Smash or crash? Oh, my God. I want what they want. And every other guy who came over here just built his gut and gave everything he had. What? what? For our country to love us as much as we love it. Okay. That's from three? All right. That's two. Oh, okay. That's two. Okay, so... Uh, new one from Muse. <laughs> Double right? shot yes. Tuesday. Double shot Actually, you get shot uh, twice. Yeah. I shoot you twice. Yeah. And don't forget our super special contest of the week. If you win, I send the guy over with the thick neck and the hammer to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a <the> bonus <laughs> round. All right, so anyhow, uh, number 16 is over the top. Over the top no. is, is um, it's so bad. It's great. 16. Oh, great in its horribleness. I remember, I remember, I don't know how I ended up in the theater seeing that. I might. Um, <laughs> Somebody I, bought you that ticket. <laughs> but, oh, but oh my God, how bad it was. Um, the father son plot, it says here, has a heartwarming charm to mm, boot. No. By the way, here's a fun fact for you. Fun fact. The theme to that song was done by Sammy Hagar, and playing bass on that song was the title track called Over the Top, uh, was uh, Eddie Van Halen. Is played, that right? Played bass guitar on That's that crazy. song. That's crazy. Yeah, he even does a little... Uh, <laughs> totally crazy. It's yeah, the arm wrestling movie if you're not familiar. Yes, exactly. And by the way, you know what makes this movie stink? What? The kid is annoying. Yeah. The kid is incredibly annoying. All right, so that's number 16. Now, this movie was on over the weekend, yeah. and I watched a good portion of it, Victory. I like that yes, movie. Victory is a good movie. And he is good in it. He is good in yeah. it. And the whole thing with the uh, with the 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 uh, the, the, the water uh, you know leaking out of the shower, yeah, the, tub. The, the tub and the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. And and uh, the game ba- yes. And, and Pele is in it. And Absolutely. He was a soccer player. It's a good movie. Uh, I, I would sit down. <clears throat> you know what? I may have to go and watch that watch whole thing. Watch it again. Because I didn't get read a chance the book. to see the whole thing. Uh, maybe I'll read the book. I don't know. 
Oh, but Victory was number 15. Uh, this I got to disagree with. Number 14, Tango and Cash. I hate that movie. Oh, really? I, I love it you and like hate it. it. I yeah. love it and hate it because, you know, we're both superstars. Kurt Russell is his number. He, we, we're vying for number one cop. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. so we both have a lot of buzz. The only part I like about it is near the beginning is um, Stallone actually says the words, Rambo is a pussy. Yeah. Oh. And it's pretty funny. You know what I like most about it? Uh, Terry Hatcher's uh, dance. She mm-hmm. looks phenomenal. Yeah. That. That's when she was... Just coming on the scene. You know she's my sister. That's right. And keep her hands Russell off. wants to bang her. Mm-hmm. But I don't let him. Uh, Tango and Cash was number 14. Came out in 1989. How is... Okay, Steve, how about this? Number 13, Death Race 2000. Oh, so you know what? Wow. He, he plays Machine Gun Joe Perturbo. Yeah. And he's hilarious in it. Mm-hmm. So um, this is a Roger Corman movie. It was but, remade, and it was made, remade terribly, but... It's, it's a comedy? It's a comedy. Okay. It's wow. a comedy. Probably the first video game movie ever made because the game did precede the 2000 movie. did precede the movie and it was this it was an arcade game it was a flat table game where four people could stand around on either side and you had a steering wheel yeah and you had to drive these cars and run into pedestrians and they would turn into little tombstones when you would hit them <laughs> yeah there's um, and you'd have to you'd get extra points for hitting kids no and, and you, well, for hitting movies yeah you know, senior citizens yep. and strollers and so um david carradine plays frankenstein who is the number one driver yep and uh machine gun right is uh is vying for that yeah. position but there's a scene where stallone is sitting there and they make him such an animal that he's eating mashed potatoes with his hands <laughs> yeah all right uh that's number 13 these are the top Stallone movies, all of them, 47 ranked from worst to best. Uh, number 12, Steve and I love this movie, Rocky Balboa. I will put Rocky Balboa up just uh, below the original Rocky. Yep, I agree. I'm with you. 2006 when that came out. It's, love it. It's, it's a great film. It's got a real heart to it. It's, it, it's <clears throat> a perfect coda to the now, whole deal. Number 11 puts it a tick above uh, Rocky Four. Yes. I don't think so. <laughs> that was Casey saying yes. Wait. They have Rocky three above Rocky four. Uh, no, and, and Rocky two. Oh, wait a minute. It was right. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're still to come. Okay. And uh, you all here have never seen card sharks. Now I want to explain it to you. It's a game where if you lose it, as then this, this guy's got a huge neck and a hammer, and send them to your house to kill you. You brought this name hammer. <laughs> I don't even know if he's saying the right stuff. <laughs> Rocky Four. Your Russian is amazing, Steve. <laughs> it's just astonishing as far as gibberish goes. Uh, so number 10 on this list was Nighthawks. Uh, with Rucker Hauer, <clears throat> right? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, so the, he's a terrorist. And yes. uh, w- Bill, uh, Billy D's in it as well. Okay. And I remember a shot that takes place on the Roosevelt Tram uh, in New York, and uh, they're holding people hostages. And uh, it's it's not a bad movie. It's pretty good. Okay. Is this is what's the one where he dresses a gir- as a girl at the end? This is it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Stallone does. Yeah. What, what happens is that the terrorist is going to come, and he's going to kill who he believes is my girlfriend. Oh, but I'm like, like you couldn't tell that it was a dude, right. in a, like a house dress. I mean, it's freaking yeah, rocky. Yeah, yeah. My, my, you know, my lat spread is enormous. All right, so Nighthawks came on. She must be a swimmer. Yeah, yeah. in 1981. Oh, my God, this is a huge bitch. 
Number nine is the Lords of Flatbush. Lords of Flatbush. With uh, Henry Winkler? Pre-Rocky. Uh, yeah, Henry Winkler was in that. 1974 is when they came out. It's a good movie. It's a weird movie because yeah. it uh, it's actually what got Henry Winkler the Fonzie role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're correct. The only thing I know about that movie is the joke of uh, <clears throat> what's the difference between, or what do what do pantyhose and Brooklyn have in common? Flatbush. No. <laughs> oh. uh, came out in nine. Uh, no, it came in at number nine. Number eight is Rambo, the movie you were talking about, Steve. Yeah. It came out in 2008. I love this depiction of Rambo, it's who's great. just who's just disconnected. He it it takes the the very sort of cartoony, except for the first one, Preston, which is a little bit rooted, more rooted in reality. Right. And but on on a pure, you almost laugh. It's so the violence is depicted so yeah. graphically. This description says it doubles down on the visceral brutality. The yeah. hyper violence isn't for everyone, but it's executed with sophistication. Would they made this movie if not for the success of Rocky Balboa? Mm. I don't know. I don't oh, know I don't if they're being made concurrently or what the story it was. It came out to two or three years, three years after. after. Okay, yeah. Oh, it's uh, if you've not seen it, it might not be for everybody. But I think, and I think Stallone's acting is really, really solid in it. Yeah. It is. Is there another one coming out though, Steve? Yeah, I believe there is. Yeah, actually, is one yeah. is domestic. Uh, all right, well, here. speaking of domestic, number yeah. seven on this list is First Blood. For blood. Uh, which is the very first Ram? That's where we were introduced to the character Rambo. You do for blood. The word Rambo wasn't in the title. Some people think that it is, but it's not. It's just called First Blood, 1982, and that's domestic. It takes place in like Colorado. I'm yeah. just walking through town. Yeah, yeah. And they it. stopped me. They put, they did me in, and they shower me, and I don't like it. David Caruso <laughs> tried to shave you. I don't like to be shaved. Yeah. Rambo Five: Last Blood comes out uh, this year, September yeah. 20th. Last Blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No more blood. Will you have your period? All the blood. <laughs> 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 riding the cotton pony. You riding the cotton pony. Uh, number six is Rocky Two. Rocky Two is a solid movie. Yep. Uh, I have that. A, they have Rocky Three ahead of high. Rocky Two. Well, I think that's stupid. It comes in at number five. Rocky Three. Okay. No. Uh, but you had Mr. T and everything. So yeah. And that's when and that's when Apollo became his trainer, and you know. Well, Rocky too. She's she goes into the hospital. She's giving you know she's in uh, she's pregnant and uh, gives birth to the kid, and uh, she gives the uh, the okay for Rocky to go fight. And then let's go die. And then Ra- and Mick dies in that one. Yeah, right? he, 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 number three. three. Yeah, yeah, number three. Yeah. Oh wait, you're you're still on Rocky two. Yeah, we're Rocky two. So I said no. Number five is Rocky three. Oh my god! I can't do math. I just, <laughs> <laughs> number six is Rocky two, right. and that's where the baby comes. The baby, play, right? And then Rocky three is where Mickey dies. Uh, yeah, I, I still love from Rocky two. They yeah. will they will play it at uh, at the Wells Fargo Center Flyers game, and and the whole scene where she says, "There's one thing I want you to do." Yeah, what's that? Win, and then you get Mickey. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? Yeah. You win is the one where you win, right? <laughs> but I like that music that comes right after that. Yeah. The dong. The, oh, know, yeah. And they get the velvet. Yeah. You know the song. I do. Yeah. I hear when I train in my montages. So Rocky Three was was number five. Uh, number four is Demolition Man. Really? Ooh, it's a fun movie. It is a fun movie I with Wesley it. Snipes and Sandra Bullock and, uh, um, what's his name? I forgot the guy's Rob name. Schneider. I know, no. Yeah. Is he in it? Yeah. yeah, he's in it. Is Armand or Sante in this um, one or is he in Judge Dredd? He's in Judge Dredd. This okay. is with the murder death kills. 
Yes. Uh, and the, I'm, I'm uh, trying to think of the, the male partner uh, cop as well. Damn, Benjamin Bratt. Yeah. Benjamin Bratt was in it, too. Uh, yeah, it's a fun movie. It's fun. Better than Rocky 2 or no. 3? And, no. Uh, no. Better than First Blood? I don't think no. so. I think Rob Schneider's in... Um, he was in Judge Dredd. He was also in this. But Demolition Man was very, very successful. It, made it was a huge. Lot of money. Yeah. 1993. All right, number three... And we're getting into the uh, uh, the top of the top here in the more dramatic roles. Number three is Copland. He's really good in. He's Copland. great in it. He is. Uh, he's a bit overweight. He is. He is the the patsy that's put upon, but that he finally. It's almost like High Noon. He finally steps out and and makes a stand. Yeah. You know what I don't like about Copland? I, I, I like him a lot. But I don't watch the movie anymore because I don't like all those slimy cops. I don't like yeah. Ray Liotta. I don't like um, uh, who's the the older guy, Har- uh, Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel in it. You know, I yeah. just I don't like those slimy characters that they're playing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, hey, Michael yeah, Rapaport yeah. is in it. Hey, uh, he's he's slimy. Yeah. So, he's but anyhow, slimy. Uh, but yeah, was, you know, you can barely <laughs> hold on to him. They're bad. But yeah, you they, can't they, even listen to pig. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, so, but he's in it, De Niro's in it, uh, and Stallone himself is, is great in it. Yeah. Number two, and this is going to get a little controversial, number two is Rocky on this list. What? I don't know how you can not make that number one. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to have to sit down. I'm going to have to sit down. Have a seat, please. There's a scene, I watch the movie almost any time it's on television. I at least yeah. spend some time with it when right. it's on. And there's a scene where Steve and I love this part where... Um, Mickey tries to come and convince Rocky that he needs to be his trainer or be his manager. And Rocky starts letting all this stuff that he's yeah. been holding back fly out. And then Mickey walks down the street. He leaves. And then Rocky, after he said his piece, goes track him down and says, Puts his okay. arm around him. There's a great, what I never noticed until the last time I saw it, Steve, is right when he's shaking his hand, yeah, yeah. he's out there. There's no dialogue. You just see it from a distance. Right. And he goes in and hugs him at that moment. A uh, an elevated train goes by yeah, yeah, yeah. at the very top of the um, the top of the the frame, and it's brilliant yeah. timing. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's just it's just sort of accidental, probably. I, I, you know? I'm it was guessing an accident. It's one of those one of those accidental moments. <laughs> yeah, that they left in there, but it's such a beautiful. All moment. right, the train can come now. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, so that's number two. What do you think? Well, uh, it's well, pretty obvious. There's yeah. only one movie that's not. Well, two, know, actually. Two of them, yeah. So there's two. There's two, there's two of them. Yeah. Uh, Creed <laughs> is what they ranked as number one. No. Creed's a great movie. Creed is a solid movie, but I don't think Creed is better than Rocky, and I don't think Creed is better than Rocky Balboa. I agree. I think Creed is right there. I think it's a great movie. Um, and I have not seen Creed 2 yet. I have right. it at home. I saw it. And I got to see it. I mean, I mean it. Did you enjoy it? It's good. Okay. It's not as good as Creed 1. Okay. okay. All right. But you can't have Creed without Rocky. Right. You know, the, the, the you movie. You can't have hamburgers without French fries. Thank you. Yeah. You can't have Rocky 4 without Rocky 1, 2, and 3. You can't have the disease without the cure. Right. Yeah. So. Well, you can. But yeah. You can't have the cure without the disease. I'm Robert Smith, and you're the cure. <laughs> <laughs> Could you see uh, him <laughs> in the in the, the story of the band? music's going to take off. They only give it a chance. The cure. You give me crap for an eyeliner in my hair. You say it looks weird. I'm telling you, this is beginning of something big. Oh, my God. Smeared lipstick. <laughs> I don't know. Look at this. this. It's Friday is the day I'm in love. Oh, Friday. Uh, That's the day for love. <laughs> Come on. 
<laughs> take it again. I can't take it. Thursday, I'm in love. Yeah. What the hell does that mean? Friday. <laughs> That's when people traditionally fall in love. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone is Robert Smith from The Cure. Is uh, what you call a new wave. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Somebody please Photoshop a picture of that. <laughs> so they have Creed as number one. This is from Men's Health Magazine. I'm not uh, I'm not buying that, but no. I don't I don't hate I think they did a pretty good job at this list. Uh, not uh, bad. Yeah, there's so some of the the earlier placements are weird, but uh yeah, no, when you got down to the thick of it, uh, mm-hmm. pretty good. And yeah. a, and a nice memory cuz yeah. he, he's dismissed quite often and uh, there's some great great stuff. If you were to pit Schwarzenegger movies versus uh Stallone movies, Stallone has better movies, I yeah. I think, but I Isn't it crazy because I action movie-wise, I mean, if you were to take uh, all right, so what's what's the top action movie for for Stallone? Uh, is it Demolition Man? Uh, it's better yeah. be Rambo. It's Demolition Man. Yeah, I mean, there's I would rank so many Schwarzenegger action movies above Listen, Demolition. Listen, you Man. have great Schwarzenegger stuff. There's mm-hmm. no two ways about it. I, I love their 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 popcorn pop culture movies. I mean, Predator is one of my favorites, Oof. and Schwarzenegger has Two lies. Y- yes, exactly. Yeah. And Schwarzenegger, I mean, he's he's got. He does have chops. There's a, you can see him. He, there's a movie where his daughter is slowly succumbing to a zombie-like disease. It's uh-huh. an in, indie film, and he's, he actually can act. Yeah. He's really pretty good. But on the whole, Stallone's probably a better actor than Schwarzenegger. I, I think so. Also, you got to remember Stallone's writing them and directing them in a lot of cases. And that's, you know, it's funny because, Preston, I was talking to you about this. I follow Stallone on Instagram. And he and, and uh, Schwarzenegger were were adversaries. They really were for quite a while, and now they're buddies. And you see him out all the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, and to see there's a video of it. This is uh, the, the the Rocky collection is out on Blu-ray. I, I would go get it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he's doing little commercials for Stallone. Yeah, but it's nice. Nice walk down memory lane, so I thought that was a fun yeah, list yeah. to, to roll out. We're going to take a break. We'll come back in a second. We'll Bizarre File 2. We'll be right back today. Get social with Preston and Steve. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. And coming soon to OnlyFans. I'm kidding. Football is back, and this Eagles season, there are huge prizes to be won at Acme. Enter Acme Swoopin' and Win Sweepstakes, and you could win up to $10,000 cash or 2023 Eagles season tickets. All you have to do is shop the participating items throughout the store and enter your codes from your receipt at acmeswoopinandwin.com. Acme makes sure Eagles fans have all their game day needs to tailgate or host like a pro. Stop in and discover why football is better at Acme, the official supermarket of the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, back with more of the Preston and Steve Show podcast. Now, WMMR presents Preston and Steve's Bizarre Final. All right, we'll begin with this on Friday. Sheriff's Office arrested resident Kyle McGill Walker after he allegedly pulled a gun on a victim at a McDonald's. The victim told the officer she was approached by Walker. He asked her if she would try a hit of his vape pen. After the victim refused, Walker says, are you serious, bro? (laughs) And then Walker (laughs) lifted up his shirt and showed the victim a gun. Are you serious, bro? Walker pulled the gun, 
pulled the gun out of his pants and began asking, what's up now? What's up now? Bitch won't try my vape pen. The victim told police that she was in fear for her life. And, and uh, a short time later, Walker was found by police behind the Lewis Point Plaza near where the incident happened. And police transported him back to the McDonald's where the uh, victim and surveillance confirmed the crime. Is that a common thing? Is that considered an affront if you won't suck on some guy's vape pen? To this guy it is. Uh, Walker has been charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon without intent to kill. So. I like how he calls her bro. Bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Days after his mother's death, this is messed up. Days after his mother's death, a man in St. Louis made a gruesome discovery when he opened a wrapped box that he says had been in the freezer since he was a kid. Adam Smith had been living in his family's St. Louis apartment while taking care of his mother, who recently died of cancer. Now, Smith says his mother kept a wrapped box inside the freezer for decades, and she had always told him to stay away from it as a kid. Uh, After she died, he decided to open the box late Saturday night. Inside, he discovered a dead, frozen baby. Which he says left him shocked. He said there was a pink baby blanket, and when I reached down and touched it, I could feel a foot... I could see the baby's head with hair. Uh, Police responded to the building. They called the death suspicious and are now investigating. Smith told officers that as strange as it sounds, he never looked inside the wrapped box. He assumed it was frozen wedding cake. Just one of those things that people kept in there and said, look, don't touch that. His mother had a dead baby for a wedding cake? No. Oh. Smith says that he's now distraught thinking about the possibility that the baby may have been his sister and what his mother may have done. Of course. He said, I have to wait for the autopsy to see if that baby ever took a breath, and I cannot help uh, I cannot help it to think that she might have done something to it. I just can't help it. Smith says he remembers his mom once speaking about losing a child at birth. A relative recently told him that his mother gave birth to twins but lost one at birth and gave the other up for adoption. And now that his mother has passed away, Smith wonders if he'll ever know the truth. So I'll try to get a follow-up on this well, after a coroner's report. There's one simple out to this. They can do some sort of DNA test and find out if there is a, a direct genetic connection t- for him to this child. Yeah, see if he's related, right. but and he wants to know how it died. Yeah, I mean, it may have been stillborn. I don't know. There's you know? a wealth of stories that will never be answered. Yeah. Uh, a man accused of severely beating his friend and trashing his own home over the weekend claimed that he was just trying to chase his kitten. <laughs> uh, deputies say it happened. Those little rascals, that made the, way, the way they make you trash your friend's house. Early Sunday morning at home in uh, Lando Lakes, Cal- uh, Lakes, Florida, the victim told deputies that he was hanging out at the home of his lifelong friend, 50-year-old Douglas Smith. And at some point, the victim said Smith randomly became enraged. Smith started smashing objects in his own house, including his own prized guitar. He also knocked the television off the wall. And at some point, deputies say Smith got on top of the victim and started hitting him. The victim told deputies he was being hit so hard and fast that he didn't know if a weapon was involved or if it was just Smith's hands. Savagely beating him. After speaking with the victim, deputies responded to Smith's home and found him lying in a pile of broken furniture. When they got inside, deputies say that there was a television on the floor, a broken table, and lots of things knocked over and thrown around. There was money on the ground and a pool of blood just in front of the door. When asked about what happened, deputies say Smith claimed that he was chasing his kitten around and denied anything happened with his friend. I was chasing my kitten. Yeah. Smith said that he was mowing his lawn and then had met up with the victim and started drinking with him. He told deputies he didn't remember anything other than chasing his kitten and had no idea how his house got trashed. He also couldn't say where the pool of blood or his own wounds came from. Wow. Smith was detained and placed in a patrol car. And at some point, deputies say he started screaming and yelling. 
Deputies say he then gave various reasons how the victim is less of a man than he is. And All because of a kitten? And stated how important his job is. I think I think there's some sort of narcotic involved here. That's he, my guess. He also talked more about chasing his kitten near the seawall. <laughs> okay. Smith was what arrested. seawall? <laughs> what the hell? Near the windmill where the badgers live. <laughs> what are you talking about? Smith. You're more of a man than the badgers. Smith was arrested and charged with aggravated battery and serious injury. The arrest report says the victim's injuries will leave permanent... Loose face! Permanent damage. Huh? huh? And scarring and may require surgery. Uh, the art teacher at a school in Columbus, Ohio, made it clear that her classroom was a banana-free zone. She posted signs outside of her classroom that she was severely allergic to bananas and asked any students who may have eaten one to wash their hands. Is that an actual thing, a banana allergy? Yeah, don't you, we had an intern who was allergic to um, all fruit. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Listen to this. This nearly killed this teacher. Wow. Uh, last November, the teacher almost lost her life when three students smeared banana on her door <sighs> and then started throwing them at her. The Aww. teacher went into anaphylactic shock in less than 15 minutes. Dude, food allergies are real. And yeah. they, and, and is as snowflakey, to quote our one caller earlier, as that may seem to some people, it's poison to some people, can kill them. Uh, the teacher went into anaphylactic shock. She starts to change colors to school security employee, can be heard saying on police body camera video, as officers arrived at the school. They gave her an EpiPen, and it wasn't working, so they gave her a second one. Her throat was starting to close up. Her colleagues called 911, and she was rushed into the hospital where she uh, did recover. Uh, the employee said all of the kids that she, uh, all the kids know she's deathly allergic to bananas. If it touches her, she will go into anaphylactic shock. Wow. Uh, they're sitting out here and they're all eating their lunch. So one of them takes a banana and sits it on the door. Officers found a piece of banana under a table after it had hit the teacher's arm and leg. The 13-year-old girl and 12-year-old girl were sentenced to probation for the attack. So it almost killed her. Mm. Pretty messed up. And then finally, federal officials say that they found a missile launcher in a man's luggage at the airport in Baltimore. <laughs> okay. What? How big a missile launcher can you pack in your luggage? A good question. The transportation. <laughs> Does it have to be less than three ounces? Maybe if it's like, you know, things you carry skis in or golf clubs. Maybe you can fit one in there. <laughs> Do you think in CVS they have a small basket of travel missile launchers? The Transportation Security Administration said in a statement that the military-grade weapon was uh, locked in the man's checked luggage at Baltimore Washington International Airport. I'd like to check my missile launcher. <laughs> TSA officers called airport police who found the man and detained him for questioning. The unidentified traveler said that he was in the military and coming home from Kuwait, and he said that he wanted to keep the weapon as a souvenir. <laughs> the TSA, it is kind of cool to have a missile launcher. It would be, wouldn't can't, it? Can't say I wouldn't want to bring one home myself. The TSA said the missile launcher was not a live device, but it was handed over to the state fire marshal for disposal. See that signature there? That's Randy Jackson. Uh, <laughs> he was ultimately allowed to catch his flight home, by the way, and there you go. That's I don't think cool. I've ever seen a missile launcher. Yeah, I have. So like, in real life? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Was, it, was it badass? That What's that? Was it badass? It, it actually doesn't. It looks fairly innocuous. Really? Like it a tube, look, right? Yeah, it's just a tube. Oh, yeah. all right. All right. Without the missile in it, it just looks like a, okay. a tube. Be back in a moment. Stay with us. Take Nick McElwain's birthday for 1,000, Preston. All right, your clue. This local Philadelphia phenomenon visited the Preston and Steve show to play Jeopardy, therefore fulfilling one of Nick's bucket list dreams. 
Hmm. Who is 16-time Jeopardy champion Ryan Long? That is correct. Hey, see who is victorious. The Daily Rush video featuring Nick and Ryan's unofficial Tournament of Champions is available now on PrestonandSteve.com. All right, we got summer. We're planning vacations, you know, activities, all this stuff makes you happy, right? Well, if you still have that nagging pain that won't go away, you need to call my friends at Trinity Rehab. You get out, you're walking the dog, you're walking the beach, you're hiking, whatever, and you're still having that pain. You got to do something about it. Just call Trinity Rehab at 800-518-0977 or go to trinity-rehab.com. I go to the Conjahawkin location. They've helped me out tremendously, especially my shoulders when it comes to playing golf. And they also have something called the EPAT machine. Most places don't have this. Cutting-edge acoustic pressure wave therapy gets in, breaks up scar tissue, enhances healing, gets rid of back pain, new pain, all tendonitis of shoulder and knee and plantar fasciitis. Listen, most people are better in three, five-minute sessions. And the best part is there's no prescription needed to get started. Call them at 800-518-0977 or go to trinity-rehab.com. Find a location. Preston and Steve. Their name is their address. Uh, on, on the web. PrestonandSteve.com. The most hated jeweler in America makes it so easy to get engaged. Meet the beautiful, classy, and brilliant Krista. She's Stephen's most loved engagement ring and will dazzle. She takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, high-quality, round, brilliant diamond in a classic solitaire setting. Meet Krista today, starting at under $700. Online at IHateStevenSinger.com or at the other corner of 8th and Walnut by appointment only. Free shipping and interest-free financing. It's so easy. Steven Singer Jewelers. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Now, back with more of the Preston and Steve Show podcast. The trash business is a gold mine. 93.3 WMMR with Preston and Steve's Hollywood Trash. Ray Koo hosting the best of all this week as the gang enjoys a little summer vacation. But I'm keeping my eye on the weather because of that Arctic cold front. It's coming down through Canada. And it could be here by noon. All right. Something to think about if you're... uh, grabbing a jacket on your way out the door thinking you might not need one. You might want to take Time to take out the trash. Speaking of taking things. What's happening, Steve? Well, Nicholas Cage uh, deciding to go method in his approach to portraying Joe Exotic the Tiger for an eight-episode miniseries. Cage says he is currently only having sex with toothless straight guys. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. <laughs> Gang member and rapper Takashi69 addressing being placed under house arrest after his release of prison early due to a potential outbreak of the COVID-19. Takashi69 says things were getting very dangerous in prison, not from the virus, but from the toilet uh, banana bread. (laughs) And uh, we talked about this earlier. The wife of Baltimore Raven star Earl Thomas was arrested for holding him at gunpoint in an Airbnb after she discovered him with another woman. Nina Thomas says she's not the kind of woman who just rolls over and was going to fight for her favorite Airbnb. (laughs) (laughs) Their next uh, group in the studio is here to... Polite uh, British applause. Oh, very polite, yes. Yes. Are here to promote a polite British movie from a polite British uh, show. Now, actually, very, very incredibly popular program. Uh, We need some... Music to uh, to give us a little bit of. Does that fit? There you go. You think that fits yeah, properly? PBS. All right, thank you. Uh, they are here to promote the Downton Abbey film, which opens on Friday, and we have a whole group of people here this morning. Please welcome Amelda Staunton, Jim Carter, Michael Engler, and Kevin Doyle. Yes. 
to our program this morning. So great to have all of you here today. Thanks for being here. We Pleasure appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Uh, so, how long has the the film been in the works? Is this a, was an idea before the? Uh, uh, before the series ended? I think it was uh, talked about before the series ended, uh, which was three years ago, but then the pressure grew thanks to you, the media, because every interview we ever did always ended up uh, off the record, is there going to be a movie? <laughs> and then the fans, everybody we met in the street, will there be a film, will there be a film? And three years later, there is. The main question I need to know, need to know and since you want to get as many moviegoers as you can to go see this, I did not watch the series. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to watch the series. I shall, but... Um, can I see the movie? Yes. And okay, that's you don't, that. you don't need to have seen the the, the, the show. Okay, All right. That's why I need to know because these two are fanatics about uh, downtown. Like, Love you guys. When, yeah. when you started talking, I was like, oh, it's Carson. <laughs> <laughs> Carson is a butler. Should <laughs> <laughs> not watch the television series. So I can't. I, I went in and out of the the series. I've loved stuff like this. I go back to uh, upstairs, downstairs, and shows uh, anything that has the the classes together and this interesting dynamic that's existed and we're perpetually drawn to this scenario and uh what i wanted to know is um so you, you leave the roles for a little bit now uh, imelda uh, you're you were not part of the series you're just joining the movie right now but um uh but was it hard to pick right up or was it just like copping on a bike it was easy yeah, easy, yeah. yeah, yeah. E- easy to get I mean, right we, back we, in. We played it for six years. Yeah. So it was like, uh, you know, yeah. I was wondering as an actor, though, if you, you know, go off... put the waistcoat on now. I was <laughs> back <laughs> being a buckler. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as I put the dress back on. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, does the movie um, start off where the TV show ended? It picks up about 18 months after the uh, finale of the series. Okay. This is the voice of Michael Engler, <laughs> our director. He's American, but we like him. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that, that Kathy and I sort of agreed on when we first started watching it was that, um, it, first of all, it's great escapism, and, and it's just a, it's a terrific uh, show with all sorts of drama. That, But people that may not have been into it, uh, we always would just say to them, you know, they're not afraid to kill off characters on Downton Abbey. They, and there was no shortage of, you know, this guy may die, and you never quite knew what was going to happen. And so um, it wasn't just uh, people were protected because they were on this um, British highfalutin series. You know, they, they, they would just kill somebody off, uh, you know, to add to the plot lines. And, and so I, I'm, I can't wait to see what the twists and turns in the movie are. Uh, I wanted to ask uh, Imelda, because you are a new character uh, to the storyline, can you tell us about uh, who you're playing and, and how she fits in? I'll have to kill you all. <laughs> <laughs> um, everything about my character. But uh, but what is great is that it's got a very powerful storyline, which does affect uh, the family. Um, and I have my scenes with Dame Penelope Wilton and Dame Maggie Smith, so it doesn't get better than that. Well, you yourself are a dame, correct? Oh, oh, I wish. You, can't, you, you just cast uh, that off. No, I thought you were. Oh, all young. right. Not too young. <laughs> um. <laughs> she, is, she is a commander of the British Empire. There you go. All yes, right. I yes, I am. All right. Um, uh, but, uh, so it was, what was great, A, it was a shock. To, you know, to be asked to do it, but then to have a really good, strong female storyline was really nice to play. So I wasn't just, you know, dressed up in a nice costume having a cup of tea. So it was very good to play those scenes. And this is, uh, the events are based on uh, something that happened in real life. Is that correct, Michael? That's right. The uh, royal family, uh, that George V and Queen Mary did do a tour of Yorkshire. It was actually much earlier than the setting of this, but they would tour around because, you know, in those days there was no social media, television, anything, and it, 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 
people might have seen photographs, you know, memorial kind of things done of them, but nobody would have ever seen them live. So the idea that this is an extremely exciting, prestigious visit is... um, not over uh, exaggerated in any way. Now, Michael, you've done a lot of um, ensemble work with different casts and, and uh, uh, The West Wing and other other shows like that you directed. Uh, there's a certain, anything like this where the ensemble is as top-notch as this ensemble is has to be really cool, but it also it places a big onus on you to deliver to the hardcore fans and to also do something that's going to invite new people in. How did you approach the movie, uh, the movie version as opposed to the TV version of the show? Well, we did want it to be something that would stand alone, that you could come in right. as a fan or as a you know new viewer, and the whole story would make sense from beginning you know to end, and bring in all the characters who the fans loved and were missing and wanted to see again. So we tried not to change the DNA and throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we wanted it to feel that we were also bringing some new life and new opportunities to it and giving it more cinematic scale. And you could spend more time, I would assume, than yes. you would on a TV schedule, right? Absolutely. Right. And there were so many characters that I loved. So a lot of the main characters are going to be in the movie? Pretty much all the main characters yeah. from the That's series right. are in there, yeah. Which is quite a skill to, you know, have uh, satisfy 20 actors <laughs> over a two-hour movie. Right. It's fine if you've got eight hours of, uh, you know, in a season, but to, to do in two hours is... Is a, is, a, is a hell of a skill. You know what it always occurs, though? There's always someone. I mean, it's the natural, it's the nature of the beast. You have something that becomes, uh, look at the way Game of Thrones with all the, the rabid fan base. You're always going to upset people. So you, I assume the idea is to just put your head down and soldier on, correct? It is, and there are worse, uh, you know, pressures to have than yeah. trying to satisfy people who love what you do. Yeah, I mean, no. there are worse problems. <laughs> I wanted to ask Imelda, did you meet Maggie Smith on uh, Harry Potter on the set of Harry um... Of course I did. Okay, yes. I didn't know if you'd met her before. Well, no, we'd, we'd actually worked together before Harry Potter, so uh, and so and I'd worked with Maggie a couple of times, I'd worked with Penelope on stage, so, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't intimidating because we all know each other and, you know, they're great heroines of mine anyway, but but at the same time, you know, you have to get go to work together. Yes. And, uh, you, know, you can't let that get in the way. I, um, I saw an interview with you, Amel, actually, during research, and it was leading up the the uh, the the show you're on. They asked you if you would be part of a Downton Abbey movie, and you said, "Oh, I don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen." <laughs> and here you are. Were you lying when they gave that answer? Not, <laughs> not, no, not at all. Okay. Because it was it was a huge surprise. Oh, was it? Oh, and yeah. Okay. As well, I'll tell you. Yeah. I mean, we, Melda and I've been married for 35 years. And, yeah. You know, your research had shown that. So when she came into the kitchen and said, "I've been offered a part in the film," I said, oh, yeah. What is it? Downton Abbey. What? Hello. <laughs> that's my territory. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I thought, I really thought, and no insult to you, my darling, um, <laughs> is that you would be playing an undercook. So when you, I found out you were playing a major aristocrat, I was furious. <laughs> Here you are laboring, <laughs> and she's above you. But you guys didn't work too much together on, on the film. You didn't have scenes together? No, we didn't. I mean, we, we got a bit overexcited. We traveled to work three days together, a bit overexcited in the car. Um, and, uh, and then, but, but that's private love. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but uh, no, he was one end of the dining room, I was the other, uh, or across a field. But no, we didn't have any scenes. The marriage survived. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's, it's so cool about a, um, uh, a show like this because it's, it's penetrated into uh, so much of pop culture that you hear... 
Downton Abbey mentioned in other movies, in other TV shows. All the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's On Sesame be... Street, it showed up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it oh, did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was great. They did a whole... We've made it. <laughs> at, at what point did you realize the uh, the weight at which this show carried with uh, the viewing public? I think an invitation to the White House kind of sealed it. Wow. wow. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. Michelle was a big, big fan. Wow. It, Listen, we'd been to a reception at the British Ambassador's residence in Washington, which was fancy enough for some of us. But then at 10 o'clock at night, there were a fleet of limousines that took us to the White House. Uh, this is the winter of 2012, I think. Wow. And we had a private tour of the White House after hours conducted by the Obama's uh, housekeeper. Uh, they, they'd wisely gone to bed. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it was, we thought, this is surreal. Wow. Very surreal and, and a huge honor. Let me ask each of you, uh, were you to exist in this time, in this in this environment, do you think you would be, would you, would, would you think you would be uh, the moneyed elite or would you be... Oh. The uh, the the uh, the serving staff. Uh, the, the three of us, the three actors here, are solidly downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even get into the big house. I'd be a, I'd be a gardener. Right? I, I, I would. I wouldn't be allowed anywhere near the estate. <laughs> <laughs> we just found out this morning that the actual building, the estate, uh, is going to be opening up for a night as essentially a bed and breakfast. Yeah. Have you guys made made aware of this? It's one hundred and eighty seven dollars a night. That's it. Well, I, I don't think you get the whole cast. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but you're you're still on the premises. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. That's, uh, that's quite a savings. Yeah. Yes. Now, Michael, we can't let this interview go by without mentioning that you do have some acting credits yourself. Steve had said to me as I came in this morning, he goes, do you know who Michael Engler is? Played. What's that? Yeah. Oh, it was Jim. Yeah. Oh my God, it was you. I have a few acting. Yes, yes, you do. <laughs> I then I apologize. No, I was no, saying yeah. the wrong thing. It was Jim, and now it makes sense. Uh, one of our favorite pop culture re- mentions. We reference it all the time. Top secret. He was deja vu. <gasps> oh. Yes. <laughs> have we not met somewhere before? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't. Oh you have no idea how that has permeated our 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 uh, our. References throughout the show. It's it, over 30 years ago, and yeah. I, I love it when people come up and say to me, Are you deja vu? <laughs> it's the one thing that makes them most proud. The, the underwater fight scene deserves a lifetime achievement award. <laughs> and and I got to kiss Val Kilmer on screen. Maybe it was only a, sort of a farewell kiss on the, on, uh-huh. on the cheek. But, you know, that's was not that everybody's first, done. It was first. my first screen kiss. Are you jealous, Imelda? Tiny. Uh, Jim Abrahams and the Zucker Brothers were the directors, and they're fantastic. And they were such good fun to to, to work with. It was was great. I love them. Well, here you have something that's decidedly different, but still an ensemble piece. And and so uh, the reviews have been great. And a lot of the reviewers are saying exactly what you would want them to say. Is If you're a fan of the series, you're going to get exactly what you want. Though it is a wonderful... It, 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 for fans of movies, I would assume like you know, remains of the day or any of the things like that, which I am a huge fan of. All that stuff, um, it, it's going to give you what you want. And it, it, great movies take you away for a while, and that's what they're saying about this. So that's got to be very rewarding. Very much so. Yeah. Very Especially much. now, for, for for people to be taken away now and just to sort of bathe in this warm glow of you know, sort of romance, nostalgia, uh, uh, drama, relationships. I, I think it gives them everything they want, as you said. And it keeps it keeps sort of going back to this. It's funny because we have we've had our shows that have dealt with this 
uh, you know, with, whether it be Dallas or, or Dynasty or, mm-hmm. or whether Falcon Crest, that's so on and so forth. Yeah. But nothing quite catches like, uh, and I wonder if, if in, in, in England, if, if you guys, uh, if it's the same sort of adoration for this, because we focus in on it and you do as well, if it's the same, if... How does it read to you? It's more fervent. Over more there. fervent, you yeah, think? Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. Over here, yeah. Because it, this again, it's sort of like the little show that could. And uh, but you know, you, you talk about it on a theatrical level. The show, when I was watching it, always looked very theatrical. Um, so I, I assume you know, were there? Is it that much more that you can do? Because it was looking pretty good as it was. Well, that's the thing, and and we always knew that, and it had always been referred to as something that was so cinematic, even as a television show. So, like I said, we didn't want to change that. We just wanted to grow it in some ways. But sometimes, you know, just the simple fact of taking, you know, two people sitting in a room talking and seeing the room at full scale automatically changes your perception of it. You feel more like you're inside it. You see much more detail and depth. And uh, so aside from the big, grand uh, spectacle elements of the film that are more cinematic, I think just scaling it up in that way surprised us. Were you cautious a little bit so it doesn't, uh, (laughs) as far as from a cinematic point of view, uh, so it doesn't... um, Contrast too much against the television show? Yeah, I think we were always trying to balance it so it felt like itself, but it felt like a a bigger version of itself. Okay. Without giving any spoilers away, we, we, we got to see it at the, the premiere in, in, in New York a couple of nights ago. We, we, we never get to see the TV series with anybody else. You obviously you sit and you watch it in your own sitting room at home. So to see it with an audience was astonishing. Yeah. And I'm not. this is not a spoiler, but there's a moment when we see the house revealed and the theme music kicks in and there's this spontaneous round of applause. Oh, that's fantastic. And that's the moment, and that's only minutes it's into into the film you think yeah. ah this is working here this is brilliant great it's great. at home on the big screen yeah that's really cool I, uh, there's there's one theme that seemed to be kind of uh, timeless on the TV show and I'm, I'm curious as a, if it shows up in the movies but there's uh, generational gaps and that seems to me like uh, it's really applicable to today is just as it was then um, that the younger generation wants to go run off and play in London or, or you know do something whereas the older generation is a little more conservative and stayed uh, would you would you say that's accurate Michael I would say that uh, but and it's also about the kind of you know what makes sense in perpetuating this tradition this house uh what makes it worth it because it's a huge amount of work and effort and money and labor and everything and and at what point it needs to change and in which ways and that's sort of the the handing off of the baton to to mary you know in the in as the next generation sort of caretaker of it i can't imagine how much it would cost to run a place like that at any era yeah, yeah. Uh, it's apparently 186 dollars a night <laughs> <laughs> you get it wherever you yeah. can. It seems a lot to us in England. <laughs> uh, Melda, with your work in the Harry Potter series, um, have you been to uh, conventions, Comic Cons, and so forth? Because they're just they're rabid for uh, anything along those lines, and especially the Harry Potter series. No. 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 You're not there as a fan yourself wandering around with helmets on and things? I could make a fortune. You could. It's it's funny because at at King's Cross Station in London, uh, they've got a... Platform nine and three quarters. quarters. Because I go there, I think, 
What am I doing? I could get here at eight in the morning, I could put on a pink cardigan, and I could make a fortune. <laughs> I never noticed, and was it you that told me that her, your uh, costume got darker and darker as your character became yes. more and more? I never even noticed wow. that. In Order of the Phoenix. Well, that's a woman thing, do you see? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, listen, I um, love you in that movie, even though your character is evil. I just, I, you know. I, like, he has a crush on you. I have a crush on you, and I know you're there with your husband, and uh, I'm he, married as well, but. He's history. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, uh, what's what's wonderful is playing a character that is so seemingly, you know, sweet and nice mm -hmm. and just with a with a steel heart. Yeah, um, and, and so naturally they went after Romelda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's just typecasting. <laughs> but but I mean, you're also in the uh, the new Maleficent movie uh, when we were fans of. Are you? Are you assuming this? And yes, the, and, yes, and yes, tiny of tiny tiny pixie. Yeah. Oh yes, and and uh, so we loved you in the first one as well. But yeah, it, that has to be weird. And I assume on that level of special effect because you're. Yes, you know, I, yeah. You're, uh, how is that? Because you're 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 a trained actress. You have all these you know uh, standard acting chops, and you're there. I assume doing a lot of special effects or green screens and things like that. Is that a little? Yes. Oh, look. But this, that's what the gig is. You know, it is. Yeah. Also, different mediums and different types of work are fascinating. You have to sort of you have to think on your feet, and you have to you work in a different way, and that's always. Quite invigorating. Sure, you're intrigued by the oh, the yeah. process alone is enough. Absolutely, it's cool because I would I would geek out were I to see it. I you know I, I would not be able to keep it together. You have to remember, of course, you know you're still doing your little your, yeah. your little story. But yes, you're surrounded, you know, whatever with nine cameras and you're you've got a head thing on with lots of cameras on it. You just have to focus on one spot, but but you still have to remember what you're talking. Is about. it like acting in a black box? Um, not, it's, it's, no. because you have to, it's like, actually, it's interesting here being in radio and in, in England, you know, we, I did a lot of radio and you're doing a scene and the person you're talking to is the microphone, yeah. actually. That's who you really have to, as you guys, you know, you've got to, you're talking to that one person at home listening to you. Correct. And that's what you have to have in your mind. No, that's the way to approach it. I, I want to ask you, because of the success of the, of the series, where's the, uh... Where's the weirdest place you've been recognized by a fan of uh, Downton Abbey? All of you can me, take, yeah. uh, I was doing a, a cycle ride in Cambodia in the, the <laughs> temples of Angkor Wat uh, <laughs> and uh, dressed uh, in, all in lycra, skin tight. I don't want you to dwell on that. <laughs> Purple with perspiration and a, and a busload of Chinese tourists decanted in front of me and one of them went, <gasps> Mr. Carson! <laughs> this is beyond. <laughs> I was in a vineyard in Bordeaux and... Uh, a couple of Americans came up to me and said, Oh, my God, <laughs> this is like Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> I, took, I took that as a compliment. <laughs> and Brad Pitt has a vineyard, so there you go. Yeah. Oh, it works oh out. Goodness, wow. Well, you guys have uh, you have traveled the world, had some exotic uh, locations, and people recognize you, and it's going to get even more so with the film opening up on Friday. So uh, I'm on board. I'm definitely, I definitely want to see it. So uh, it's wonderful to meet you all. Continued success. And I'm sure this isn't the last we've probably no, heard no, about. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for being here. Good luck with everything. Thank you, guys. Let's hear it for everyone. Michael and Kevin and Jim and Imelda, of course, from Downton Abbey. The movie opens on Friday. We'll take another break. We'll be back shortly. Stay with us. Kristen and Steve. On 93.3 WMMR.